Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who uses this podcast is his audition for Radio Bucky. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I was just thinking, should I say Happy New Year? It's We're recording on the 14th of January, so we're kind of two weeks in. Yeah. And I, I, I never know when it's acceptable to stop saying Happy New Year. Because you, 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 you run into people that you haven't seen since last year, like for weeks in, in January, yeah. don't you? And we have spoken multiple times. <laughs> yeah, we have. In, in the, like we've spoken every day in the 14 days um, <laughs> that have presided this. So yeah, we, we've already said, I think we wished each other Happy New Year bang on midnight. Anyway, so um, <laughs> yeah, to our listeners, Happy New Year, because this is our first proper episode. We did have the Best of the News special came out, but this is, and I think I wished everyone a Happy New Year on that. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's all done actually. It's all over. It's now into the the murky depths of gloomy January. But yeah. Um, but yeah, and and of course this is going out on Burns Night. So you know, mm. it's a a good um, Scottish uh, thing that that we've um, scheduled this episode to go out on Burns Night. How um, you, do you do anything special on Burns Night? Um, no, unfortunately not. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'll be around. I think last year I was. I was somewhere else, maybe in one of Kuwait or Qatar or somewhere like that. But I think I'm in Dubai this year, so I might see if there's anything going on. So I don't know if my wife has ever been to a burnt supper. And she likes mm. haggis. She does like haggis. You know, she's West Indian. They eat, they like all like goat and all that sort of stuff. They're not fussy about their proteins. So um she's um She's a big fan of haggis, so I think mm. if we find, um, I think if we can find something, we might maybe go along. Maybe I can, maybe yeah. I can see if, see if I've not had my kilt on since my sister's wedding, and that was in two thousand and nineteen. And I'm ashamed to say that I was sort of holding my breath all day because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, not the man I was when I bought that kilt. Um, in 2007, unfortunately. So I'll maybe have to see if I can get it on. If I can get it on, then um, get kilted up and maybe attend the wee Dubai Burns night. Yeah, I tried mine on last year just because, same as you, I'm like, I haven't worn my kilt in about eight years or something. Like, I wonder if it still fits. So I actually tried it on and yeah, it still fit perfectly. So I was quite happy with that. Yeah, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, how's everything else? You been up to anything exciting? No, just uh, just going back to 1987 for our uh, our TV show that we're talking about after the news today, um, and a, a very joyous trip back in time it was. But kind of getting mm. ahead of myself a little bit. Yeah, leave all that gushing till later. <laughs> We've been heavily in the 80s over the last few weeks, haven't we? Like we were oh, yes. texting the other night, watching Bullseye from 1983. <laughs> Yeah. And there was quite a few Scottish contestants on it as well. We could have um, we could have done uh, a special on that, but yeah, yeah, they got booted out in the first round, I'm, didn't they? I mean, there's just I mean, I'm sure it's been spoken about a hundred thousand times uh, over the last ten or twenty years, whatever bullseye. But it's just you just don't. I don't think when you compare it to like modern quizzes, and I quite like a quiz. You know, like I've just yeah. got this just got this new TV thing. Um, well, last in the last few weeks, so I've been enjoying watching the chase, and I've been enjoying mm. watching. Um, Stephen Fry hosting Jeopardy, um, yes. so I'm I'm up, I'm up for a quiz, and mm. there's a certain type of person that is that is on, and there's I don't I'm not trying to make fun of the people that I te- that go on the quiz the modern <laughs> quiz shows, okay. but they're just they're just not the same as the people who came on Bullseye, you know what I mean? <laughs> because the people who came on Bullseye just seemed incredibly recognisable. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in fact, there was one episode I watched the other night where, I mean, I didn't know the, the guy who was throwing the darts, but he looked so familiar that I was really, <laughs> I was really racking my brain to see. And then I heard him talk and he was an English guy and I thought, oh, I probably won't know him, but um, he just looks so familiar. Just every, the way he moved and everything. Um, and I don't see people that I recognise on the chase. <laughs> no, the people that are on Bullseye are, yeah, the people you would see in your dad's pub. Or yeah, yeah. you'd see coming out the bookies or just stumbling down Falkirk High Street <laughs> yeah. shouting abuse at the pigeons. Or something. Yeah. They're, the, they're the sort of guys who hold their cigarette between their, their finger and their thumb, you know? <laughs> with, their, with, with their hand up to stop the end blown off, you know, if they're outside. <laughs> uh, kind of guys. Yeah, no, I've definitely been enjoying Bullseye. I miss that. I, I think... It was you, actually, wasn't it? You messaged me a, a couple of months ago and you're like, I've just watched three episodes of Big Break on YouTube. <laughs> it's like, I miss Big Break as well. That was great. I know. I know that I, I have to say, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the return of uh, Gladiators last night. It was it's, it's moved from ITV to BBC One, which is actually brilliant because it means there's no adverts. It's just, you know, it's... Um, and uh, I, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I still haven't watched it yet because I was, as you were aware, I was out yesterday and yeah. then um, I, I came in just as it was finishing. But um, yeah. so I haven't actually watched it yet, but I'm going to um, do that this afternoon. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've been smart in the sense that although it's like new and obviously it's all new gladiators because the original gladiators too old to be swinging around. <laughs> but uh, the um, it feels the same. You know, like Bradley Walsh mm. and his and his son Barney are hosting it. And I like I quite like Bradley Walsh. Um but it's it, it feels um it sort of retained true to mm. the original series that was on in the early nineties when we were when we were young and impressionable and attracted to Jet and the oh. other beautiful Lady Gladiators. <laughs> Is it still in the same place, the Birmingham NEC? No, it's moved to Sheffield. Oh. It's in Sheffield. Ah, okay. Steel City. Yeah. Sheffield Steel City. So it sort of works. Steel City. Sean yeah. B. That's the first thing I think of when I think <laughs> yeah. of Sheffield. <laughs> anyway, sure. we've um, we've got plenty of other eighties chat coming up later yeah. on. So, part <laughs> that. Um, right, let's move on from the eighties. Shall we have a look at what's been happening in the news in Scotland over yep. the last couple of weeks? For the first time in twenty twenty four, cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, uh, what have you seen in the news over the last couple of weeks uh, in 2024, and you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Well, uh, one of our stories on that we put on the Best of the News, the episode that came out last week, still available, uh, concerned the American fugitive Nicholas Rossi um, and uh, how he felt he was being bullied by the prisoners of Sauton who kept who keep singing to him the John Denver classic leaving on a jet plane as he as he fights extradition to the US. Did you put off not singing it there? <laughs> well, I can tell you that Nicholas Rossi is now leaving on a jet plane. But before Aww. he did, before he rest, before he left on he left on his jet plane, he wrestled marshals with his trousers down. As he <laughs> tried to avoid the flying out of Scotland. So 
what what's not funny about Nicholas Rossi is that he's wanted for um, sexual assaults against women in the US. What is funny about him is that he claims that his name isn't Nicholas Rossi, that his name's Arthur Knight, uh, and that um, there's been a like I saw like I mentioned before a bit of a campaign by uh, prisoners in salt in prison against them just to upset them basically no violence just upset them so as I mentioned Sing and Leave on a jet plane they've been uh, apparently he has declared himself to be Jewish so they keep putting ham in his sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that Um, just like the sort of like torture that you want a sex case to endure in prison yeah so this was um, on the 7th of January. The story is in the Daily Record. So fugitive sex offender Nicholas Rossi roared and cried as he left jail to be put on a flight out of Scotland heading for the US. The 36-year-old <laughs> was forced onto the plane after wrestling with staff on the tarmac with his trousers round his ankles. His wife, Miranda Knight, made last-minute legal efforts on Friday to stop the flight taking off from Edinburgh Airport, which had officials from the US Marshal Service and the Department of justice on board um, a source said he was on the plane but his wife was still trying to get some legal representation to stop it but in vain neither her nor rossi were given any notice that it was going to happen when it did but it should be expecting it so yeah basically uh the eyewitness goes on to say the marshals had to struggle with him as he obviously didn't want to get on the plane he struggled so much that his trousers <laughs> ended up at his ankles <laughs> <laughs> So that's him. He's he's um, a prison source at um, Her Majesty's Prison Edinburgh, um, formerly known as Salt and Nick, uh, where Rossi has been locked up for the last 18 months, said. Rossi was roaring and crying as he was taken away. He had no idea what was coming when they went into his cell and said he was leaving. The prison staff were glad to get rid of him. His demands and fake illnesses were just wearing everybody down. <laughs> So that's him. He's off uh, to the US um, to be tried there for his historical crimes. I mean, he reckoned that uh, he was identified because of um, some tattoos that he's got. That one of these, mm. one of the women that he's said to have attacked, um, identified him by, and he claimed that <laughs> he claimed that when he was in a coma with COVID, somebody tattooed him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just like, the worst excuse. <laughs> I mean, who's going round like the hospitals of Scotland tattooing coma <laughs> patients? <laughs> Nobody. As as you're well aware, um, as well as watching Bullseye, I have recently been rewatching the the late '90s TV show Oz, which is of course mm. set in a a maximum security US prison. Yeah. Um, I think Rossi's, the least of his worries will be prisoners singing, <laughs> leaving on a jet plane and putting bacon or ham in his sandwiches when he ends up there. Because if Oz is a true reflection of what goes on in American prisons, he's going to be in for a hell of a rough time when he's there. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you could say it serves him right. Um, uh, yeah, it fucking does. Yeah. But anyway, that's him. He's finally left on his jet plane off to America um, ah. to, stand, to, to stand trial. So that's my first story, a little Rossi update there. I don't think we'll be hearing about him again. I bet no. the I bet the prisoners in Salton are bereft. <laughs> they have to do with their time now. Um, they just find a new target, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's my first story. What's your first story this week? Uh, my first story is from Aberdeen Live this week, Greg, and the headline reads: Aberdeen drug dealer caught after mass text to 169 people offering cocaine 
and heroin. <laughs> uh, so, a drug trafficker was caught with narcotics worth nearly £170,000 on the streets after sending a bulk text message to 169 recipients claiming he had heroin and cocaine for sale. Ethan Elite threw two packages containing Class A drugs from the kitchen window of a flat in Aberdeen into the garden after police forced entry into the premises. Other officers were stationed in the rear garden while colleagues entered the address <laughs> in the city's Victoria Road Torrey. <laughs> the packages were recovered and found to contain heroin and cocaine and larger quantities of drugs were discovered in a North Face holdall in the flat. I don't know why it's so... Why is it important it's a North Face holdall? <laughs> is it to show that he's a drug dealer? So he's no, he's no using a... A Gola hold all, or <laughs> yeah. a, a pony hold all. It's North Face, proper quality. Yeah, I'll, um, bet North, I'll, bet, I'll bet North Face will be over the moon to be associated with that story. <laughs> yeah, great for stashing your drugs. Uh, almost half a kilo of heroin was in a bag, and a further batch of bags contained high-purity cocaine, the High Court in Edinburgh heard. A judge was told if the drugs were broken down into street deals for sale, they had the potential to make £169,880. That's a very specific amount <laughs> Like, why didn't they just say 170 grand? Uh, A month before the raid on the flat, uh, Elite was stopped by police officers in Guild Street in Aberdeen under a drug search. No drugs were found on him, but officers recovered two mobile phones and discovered he was in possession of £540 in cash. An examination of one of the phones found that on the day of the stop, it received a message reading, On with raw W and scab, best gonna boot. <laughs> Advocate dispute Craig Murray told the court, The words raw W in this context means cocaine. The word scab means diamorphine, which is heroin. Okay. The text message was therefore an offer to sell to the accused an unknown quantity of cocaine and diamorphine said the prosecutor. Uh, Elite sent out the text message to 169 others 20 minutes later on 14th of February, reading, uh, 14th of February 2022, reading, On with 10 out of 10 raw holly and 10 out of 10 scab. Get on me. Don't miss out. <laughs> uh, the court heard that raw holly was an abbreviation of raw Hollywood, which meant cocaine. I've... Uh. I've never heard that. I mean, if I hear Raw Hollywood, I'm just thinking about Paul Hollywood going in without lube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've not heard that expression either, but, you know, we're, hmm. we're middle-aged men, Nicky. It's probably a good thing that we've not heard. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I don't, I don't fancy buying any scab or Raw Hollywood, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, during the later search of the flat on April the 13th, the police also recovered scales with traces of cocaine and heroin. They also found a jacket with Elite's driving licence and a £1,000 in one pocket and a further £290 in another. Uh, Elite 24, formerly of Beerfield Terrace, uh, admitted uh, to being concerned in the supply of heroin and cocaine in February and April. The court heard that he has previous convictions for possession of Class A drugs, but has never previously been sentenced to imprisonment. Defence counsel Neil Shan said... Clearly a significant custodial sentence is inevitable in this case. And the judge adjourned the sentence uh, for preparation of a background report and remanded him in custody. So, I mean, sending out a message to 169 people, that's probably his whole phone book, is probably a risky move in terms of (laughs) offering raw Hollywood and raw holly and scab. I mean, do, do I think it's like a strange uh, feature on a phone anyway? Why would you need to send the same message to every single person that you know? Now, I 
I remember years and years ago, and I'm talking like probably about 12 years ago, um, it was handy for New Year. And I would just send right. a text message to my full phone book, Happy New Year. Um, haven't done that for a very long time. No, you know, I think it's only you and our mutual friend that I really messaged Happy New Year, my sister. Um, yeah, that's about it. So yeah, I don't know. But I, I guess it's handy for mass communication. But I guess nowadays you would just be in a group chat with everyone. Yeah. So I don't know if he if, if he was in a group chat with his 169 customers. So the, do we think that the name Ethan Elite is his like hip hop name? Oh, it could be actually. Yeah, it could be. You think he's spitting rhymes with all about the raw holly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All about the scab. A little bit of scab. I've never heard it. I've never heard um, of anybody's second name being Elite, especially in Aberdeen. I never. I don't think I've ever met the Tory elites or the no. or the or the Hazelhead elites. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he's he's not very elite at being a drug dealer by the looks of things. Or, or maybe he is. You know, he's he's but he's got caught with them. Um, all that coke and heroin in his North Face hold all. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens to him. I have to say, like that must have been that it must have been days like that when it must just be a right laugh being a policeman because they they're in the back <laughs> garden, right? So they've obviously yeah. <laughs> they've, they've obviously preempted uh, what he would do. They're in the back garden just catching packets of drugs. It's <laughs> a guy throws them out the window. I bet I bet they were. I bet the the officers were fucking pissing themselves <laughs> like, <laughs> normally in you know you see in films or something that they would be flushing it down the toilet but no he's just a lob out the window into the backy and there's like a load of cops there just catching it thank you thanks very much that'll do nicely I've literally just seen you throw it out I've got it on my body cam so you can't deny <laughs> yeah. you're chucking it out the window <laughs> oh dear me Oh, fucking <clears throat> idiot. Never mind. Uh, so, yeah, I'll keep an eye on the news and find out um, when he gets sentenced. But I think he will be probably uh, in for a, a large custodial sentence on the yeah, back of that. I think so, too. Well, near luck, Ethan. Uh, uh, right. Uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Uh, well, my next story concerns a program which I think it's one of the things that you and I really sort of bonded over like when we first got to know each other um, so mm. the the classic HBO TV show The Sopranos is oh, celebrating yes. its celebrating its 25th uh, anniversary this year um, the first series wow. went out in 1999 but there's a connection to Scotland because oh. the the iconic theme uh, song Woke Up This Morning is by a uh, Scottish rock band Alabama 3 um, of course yeah, so this is from the Daily Record today. Um, the headline is Glasgow Hard Men and Crime Families Inspired the Iconic Sopranos hit song Notorious Possible Park. No less was the inspiration for the theme song of the TV show. Woke up this morning by rock band Alabama 3 features at the start of each episode of The Sopranos showing ruthless mafia boss Tony, Sopra- Tony Soprano played by James Gandolfini smoking a cigar as he drives over the bridge from Manhattan uh, to New Jersey, where the TV TV show's set. Um, But on the show's 25th anniversary, a band member has revealed how the iconic words and music were inspired more by the hard men of Glasgow than the tough guys of New Jersey and New York, where the show's set. Uh, Rob Sprague wrote the song in 1997 uh, with fellow Alabama 3 member Jake Black, who had grown up in the tough housing estate of Postle Park on the north side of the city. Then, the area... I think probably still is, had one of the highest crime rates in the country, 
and drugs and violence were rife. It was also home to feared gangs like the Young Possel Fleet, of which uh, Jake Black was a member, and notorious crime families like the Daniels. Sprague said that much of the menace in Woke Up This Morning that first attracted The Sopranos creator David Chase was inspired by Black's upbringing. He said the song had been released as a single in the USA in 1997 and Chase heard it on the radio as he was driving from New York to New Jersey. He thought it was perfect for the show. The song really took off after that. It still sounds really fresh even now, I'd agree with that, which suggests that we were ahead of our time, though we were seen as a bit of a novelty band at the time. Uh, Unfortunately, Jake Black died in 2019 at the age of 59 after falling ill on stage at a concert in Lancashire. He was later laid to rest following a church service in Possel. Sprague added, Jake was proud of his upbringing and his roots and that it's reflected in the song. I think Chase got that sense of menace coming all the way from Possel when he heard it for the first time. Over the years, Jake would regale the band with hilarious stories about his upbringing. Though he could exude an air of menace himself, uh, on stage, Jake was very warm and witty and one of the most intelligent and well-read men I have ever met. The song was originally inspired by the real-life story of abused wife Sarah Thornton, who snapped and killed her alcoholic husband in 1989. I did did not know that. Over the Mm. years, the band have turned down lucrative offers for the song to be used in adverts. They also refused an offer of £800,000 in 2020 um, to buy out the entire rights. Most of the song's revenue, which features vocals from Rob and Jake, comes from royalties and radio plays. It featured in last year's Super Bowl and Rugby World Cup, as well as the latest John Wick movie, two episodes of The Simpsons and Top Gear. The annual royalty payments to band members have been limited to between five and £10,000 because of the number of people due a share, including artists whose work is used in the song, including Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. Sprague said, We've resisted the temptation over the years to exploit the song commercially, which has kept it quite cool. However, I am sure, as in the best gangster movies, that somebody eventually is going to make us an offer that we can't refuse. <laughs> so, nice little, uh, nice little closer there. So I thought, being as the podcast is called the culture swally and most of our news stories are about people getting caught wanking and uh, (laughs) (laughs) sex dolls and stuff like that that a wee story about actual scottish culture in the news might be a wee refreshing change of pace yeah that's lovely that's brilliant and yeah you're right um that was one of the things we kind of first bonded over um Mm. i think was our our mutual love for the sopranos and i was actually watched an episode the other day um i was just flicking around sky and they're showing it at the moment so yeah watch one but i have hbo max and they have the whole series and i think once i've finished oz i'm gonna start a rewatch of the sopranos because it's just genuinely one of my favorite shows and that intro is so iconic and that song is so iconic yeah. you just can't help but listen to that and feel like i don't know i can't even describe the feeling you get when you hear that song it's just so cool and yeah. so hip and you just kind of feel you're with tony in his his car smoking a cigar going over the i don't know the brooklyn bridge um and then yeah just yeah it's just iconic and the you know when he slams the car door and just the way it ends oh fucking brilliant um so yeah that's really good to hear that obviously it's a you know scottish band that that did that song and yeah yeah i watched a couple of episodes actually this week of the sopranos um for the same reasons uh that you did like it was on and the second 
the episode I watched was like the second episode of the first series. So mm. bear in mind that it's. I think I watched the second and the third series. The second, and the, second and the third episode. I've watched them all from kind of front to back. I think during the pandemic. I think I watched like they just watched them all. Mm. Did a bit of a Sopranos uh, rewatch. So I think I probably watched the entire series maybe three times over the years. Well, the last episode, mm. the last episode, I think, came out in 2006 or 2007, something like that. And I remember when they launched Sky Atlantic in the UK, they were showing The Sopranos, like, all the way through, you know? Yeah. That was back in 2011 or something like that. So, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a 24-year-old TV show. The, the, the only time that it's it maybe shows its age is when they're, you see the mobile phones that they're using or, they, they're, <laughs> or yeah. they're, you know, they're talking about how DVD is better than Laserdisc. <laughs> you know, when, uh, Christopher and, <laughs> when Christopher and Brandon are uh, robbing the trucks. But just, you know, but the, the sort of humour and... and the thing that the thing that it's retained, and you touched on it there, is that it's still a fucking really cool show. Even though mm. like even though like most of the people in it aren't sort of conventionally good looking kind of people, you know, they're but they're they're very unique looking. A lot of the guys are sort of older, middle aged guys and stuff, but they're still just cool as fuck. Even in yeah. their tracks, in their tra- in their shell yeah. suits and their <laughs> you know what I mean, in their wife beater vests and all that. <laughs> Yeah, it made tracksuits cool. Um, yeah. yeah, it's one of those shows that I, I genuinely remember watching the first episode as it went out live on Channel 4. And because they, they'd been heavily trailing it, I think. And I was like, I need to watch this show. And I remember watching the first episode and just loving it. And then that was it. Every week, I just watched it. It was kind of like nothing else to do at that time. I have mm-hmm. to watch The Sopranos. Yeah. And yeah. Absolutely loved that show so much. And you're right, it just makes them even sitting in their tracksuits. Yeah. <laughs> string vests on the street, but they just look so effortlessly cool. Like, if you can make like four or five sort of middle-aged, slightly overweight men sitting drinking espresso outside a fucking butcher shop on a pavement <laughs> a sunny day cool, then you're clearly somebody of considerable talent. <laughs> anyway, so that was my second story. It was nice to be connected with something um, as iconic as that. What's your next story this week? Uh, my next story is from Glasgow Live this week, Greg, and it concerns ex-Rangers player, that's how he would like to be known, I imagine, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. Um, although he never actually really made a proper appearance for Rangers, but no. yeah, but we'll let him the way it does. Um, So uh, the headline is Gordon Ramsay's full Scottish burger urged by Scots to get in the bin. So (laughs) uh, Gordon Ramsay has taken to social media to show off one of his latest creations, but it's not going down as well as he thought it would. After posting about his full Scottish available at his Edinburgh restaurant, the chef and TV star was soon hit by criticism with people saying, It was far from a full Scottish, and that's because of a few things that don't belong there. In his caption, he wrote, Try the full Scottish at Gordon Ramsay Street Burger, Edinburgh, with lawn sausage, a hash brown, and an easy over egg. The brioche burger contains a square sausage, egg, a hash brown, and controversially, lettuce and tomato. It's, and it's very apparent... Nobody thinks the last of those three things belong in any full Scottish breakfast, with one calling the chef a chancer. Uh, <laughs> Taking to X, often called Twitter, that's the first time I've seen that. Normally it's yeah. previously, you know, or yeah, formerly yeah. known as Twitter, but yeah, they've done often called Twitter. 
people spoke their minds, and it's clear while some were keen to get their hands on and around the burger, others were more happy to stay away. One said, 18 quid for a sausage and egg doubler. No Scottish person put salad in a breakfast roll. Get in the sea, Gordo. Get in the sea. Another row. <laughs> get in the sea, Gordo. Another row. <laughs> Neta is gone. And the roll is too posh. And the slice looks far too lean. And there seems to be some green shite on it. <laughs> <laughs> A third simply said, nah, Gordon, nah. Whilst another wrote, hash brown, that's no Scottish. And as for lettuce at breakfast, have a fucking word by yourself. <laughs> a fifth added, get that roll, that lettuce, and that tomato in the bin. The hash brown can stay at a push. On the side, though, needs a wee totty scone on the side as well. And a proper yeah. roll would be good. Um, I did see a, a post on Twitter about it as well, and someone posted there, there's no a Scottish person alive that's putting lettuce and tomato in that roll, you fanny. Uh, so, <laughs> so, 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 yeah, Gordon's come under a little bit of criticism for his Brit full Scottish um, roll, um, because he's got lettuce and tomato on it. Now, it's, it's obviously a burger, so I don't think it's meant to be eaten at breakfast time um but yeah so a square sausage i mean obviously i'm out immediately because yeah, as we famously know that gives me heartburn yeah. um and obviously i'm a vegetarian so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. More, um, more importantly <laughs> <laughs> but it contains a square sausage egg hash brown lettuce and tomato in a brioche bun it sounds quite nice though doesn't it i mean it's, it sounds fine i think you know if I, I suspect that he was he wasn't he didn't kind of come up with it as a Scottish tribute. But if he what if he did, he could maybe swap the hash brown for a a wee totty scone. That'd be nice. That, that'd make more sense than a hash yeah. brown. I mean, I I like a hash brown, but it's not Scottish. Yeah, but a wee totty scone is. You know, swap the brioche for like a well-fired roll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think you need a little bit of haggis in there as well, like a nice little slice of haggis. Yeah, maybe yeah. like a wee, a wee, a wee sort of whiskey base uh, relish or something like that. But on there, Ooh. a bit of sweet, a wee bit of sweetness and spice. That sounds yeah. nice, actually. Now, yeah, maybe we should get onto X, often called Twitter, and um, <laughs> annoy him. <laughs> message annoy Gordon. Hey, Gordo. <laughs> We've, um, I know you're a, a multi-billionaire and a world-famous <laughs> chef, but we've we've thought of some improvements that we could do on your yeah. fucking full Scottish burger. Yeah. We've we, we've noticed where you're going wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just give you he's a fun. bit of advice here, Gordo. He's, he's got he's got a funny relationship uh, with Scotland, Gordon Ramsay, because okay, but he was I know he was born in. Um, I remember I read his autobiography years and years ago, and he was born mm. in Johnson. And his mum's Scottish. And I've seen his mum on the TV when he used to do the F word in Channel 4. He had, he had her on a couple of times. Seemingly with the sole aim of humiliating her. So he used to do like a sort of cooking. He would have like a, a competition where him and somebody else would meet, would do their own version of like a classic. I remember he, he him and Al, you know Al Murray, they, mm. put, they, they made uh, bread and butter puddings and the guests had to decide which one was the best. But he, he got his mum on. I can't remember what she was making, but it was a real sort of hearty dish like steak pie or, or something like that right mm -hmm. so he he gets his mum on to go up against her making his steak pie against her steak pie and then obviously he's a fucking michelin star chef who works in paris <laughs> right and his mum's his, his mum's just a wee scottish woman probably a recipe that's been handed down from her mum and gordon ramsay won and he was he's like yes do you know what i mean like <laughs> You know, you would think if you know if you get your mum on, you fucking let her win, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Get it, get it, ruin you. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> right up ye. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, he moved away from Scotland when he was nine. Now, I, I moved, yeah. and, he, and he didn't keep his accent. I moved away from Scotland when I was eight, although I did come back when I was 14. But I didn't, I didn't lose my accent. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, obvi- he's obviously just tried to fit in, not be made, made fun of instead of being a... Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. He's quite a controversial figure, Ramsey. Um, even though he's an ex-hun, apparently, <laughs> um, I, I I can't help but love the guy. Like, I, like, just, I do like him. He's I brilliant. Like him a lot. Yeah. And I've read a lot about him online, actually. And I've I have read. I've met him actually. Yeah, I met him in Dubai. I went to his um, Bread Street Kitchen. Oh yeah, and met him. Yeah, um, and I have to say, I've read a lot about him online. I've never heard a bad word about him, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. people, are like he's he's lovely, and I think it says a lot. Like all of his staff, like no one says a bad word about him. Yeah. Like he's he's amazing to work for, and I think it is a persona that he's this angry sweary chef but i think i think he does demand obviously high caliber but i think he's he's very good about it and fair and i think and, and a, a good guy i mean he's his celebrity initially was built on his temper because he was yeah. i remember the first show and i remember watching it was that boiling point where obviously mm. so obviously like somebody had heard him ripping a call me chef like a new arsehole or something and decided that it would make a good a good subject for like a sort of fly in the wall uh, documentary um and he'll be sort of famously worked for marco pierre white and all that didn't he but he um mm. he um but you know but i can sort of understand i'm in the same industry right so i can i can understand what he, he was obviously very very driven and I th- you know and didn't any any passengers were swiftly fucking kind of kicked off the boat you know if they weren't kind of yeah. pulling their weight or doing what he wanted them to do. I remember them sacking a waiter on the spot because the waiter took a drink of water in the dining room and he didn't want the diners to... He didn't think the diner should have to see a waiter having a drink of mm. water in a fine dining restaurant and fucking canned them. Um, but I think now, to your point, you know, I think he's he's obviously been massively successful and he's probably not that guy anymore. I know yeah. he does. He plays that guy in Hell's Kitchen because that's, uh, that's one of me and my family's favourite shows. Um, mm. But but he's obviously been, that's what it's all about. It's all about him fucking cracking up at them when they make mistakes and things like that. And um, But I think to your point, he's actually probably quite mellow by comparison to what he was in the kind of late 90s when he first sort of came in the telly. Yeah, I might go back and watch some of the old Kitchen Nightmares because they were fantastic. Um, I, I I never really liked the US ones because that was it, that felt a lot of falsified drama. Like yeah. it was always a, it always kicked off. But the UK one was so raw and real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, the first series or so was just fucking amazing in terms yeah, it was really of good. just. The, the idiots that you couldn't believe. Um, but as it went on and became more successful, and especially with a US export, it became a little bit more panto. But yeah. that first couple of series of Kitchen Nightmares is just epic television when he's just, you know, ripping the absolute <laughs> arse out of people. And, but he's doing it from a good place as well. He's like, I yeah, want yeah. to succeed, you know? Yeah, when he goes yeah. into a restaurant, they have like 40 things in the menu and he's like, strip it back. Have like six things that you do well mm. rather than why are you, you know, you're, a fucking restaurant in Hamilton High Street. Why are you cooking jambalaya <laughs> and egg and chips and yeah, yeah. You know, sea bass? Like, no, stick to what you know. Well, if you if you if you're ever feeling a wee bit low and you want to be cheered up, just watch the opening credits for his Hotel Hell TV show. <laughs> It'll okay. cheer you up. It will. All right, <laughs> I'll, I'll look at that after uh, we finish recording. Uh, okay. Um, 
Have you seen anything else in the news this week, Greg? Nope, that's it. Right, well, it is Burns Night as this episode goes out. Um, I, I think we need to think about the big man because if he's at a Christmas party yep. and he's at a New Year party, yep. he's having a burn supper, isn't he, Cosmo? He's just back from Bulgaria. He's had his <laughs> couple of lines in his Swords and Sandals film. It's Burns Night at the Cosmos. And I promise, listeners, we're retiring Cosmo after this for a while, but we need to speak about his Burns Night. So I'm thinking that Christmas and New Year, everyone's invited, obviously apart from McGregor. Anderson, Compton, Guthrie, yeah. and now now Robertson as well. He's on the list. But it's kind of an open house. Everyone's invited. But the Burns Supper is Cosmo's... It, it's something that he really relishes and he really looks forward to. And, he, you know, he, it's just him and Mrs. Cosmo. They live a simple life. They have like a, a six-seater dining table. But it's an extender and it pulls out and it, you can have 10 people around this table. So he's off to the shed. He gets the extra four seats out the shed, gives them a dust off. He's got his 10 seats around the table. Who is Cosmo inviting to his burn supper, do you think? Well, I think, you know, I think it, the chairs he gets out of the shed are the garden chairs because he's he's only got six chairs that match the table. So he's got to get the garden <laughs> chairs out. So, so four guests are going to be sitting a bit lower. Um, so that so that will inform who's on the guest list. I think, you know, he's, he's already said that New Year's Eve, be the, that was the last party he was having, but... You know, as I do say, it is Burns night. He has to be very, very selective about who he invites. He can't be, you know, so Heyman's out because, you know, he doesn't want Heyman passed out sleeping on the sofa when they're addressing the haggis later on. They like to clear the chairs on the table to one side and have a wee Kaylee in the living room. So everybody's got to be on their feet for that. Um, so Heyman just... He, he can't be trusted with a burn supper. I think he invites. Uh, I think in, in in years gone by, Robbie Coltrane would have been invited. Um, mm. I think he invites Elaine C. Smith. She's a very uh, elegant lady. Uh, probably Barbara Rafferty is on the guest list as well. Yeah. I think I think he invites Costello just because you know he feels a bit beholden to him. He's needs a bit of a. I dig out now and again, you know, it's not, he's, he's, he's not getting parts in Wonder Woman all the time. So, uh, you know, just bright my He's a good egg, Costello. You know what I mean? He always, he, he always stays back and helps tidy up at the end of the night and stuff. So I think Costello gets invited. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I'd agree with you on that. I think Rafferty, um, Elaine C. Smith, I think Ellie Haddington would be invited as well. Um, yep. You know, her and Mrs. Cosmo are, are good pals. True. Um, I, I think Norton has to be there. Alex Norton will be there for sure. Yep, I think yeah. they d- definitely. He's probably driving Elaine C. Smith and Barbara Rafferty through from Glasgow, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably so he'll be there. He'll be on the American Cream Soda or the or Bar Strike Cola. No uh, drams for Norton. Um, and I was, yeah, I was, I was thinking maybe like a random one would be maybe Gilly Gilchrist would be invited. You know, just kind of Cosmo likes him, so he's yeah, invited think- him along for the burn supper. Gilchrist is there. Um, I think Tony Curran as well, but mm. I think, you know, Cosmo, he likes to be the kind of premier redhead at the table. You know what I mean? doesn't want, to, you know, he'd be like, Curran can feel a bit like a usurper, you know, the sort of next generation of striking ginger gentlemen making a big splash in uh, film and television. And I think he's he's left a chair open for Butler because he's invited Butler. Yeah, and he always hopes him. that Butler's going to come, but yeah. he very rarely does. He's too busy filming busy. something about the White House or something yeah, burning he's... down or something. But he's too busy, but he he does leave a chair for Butler just open in case the, the invite's always there, Jerry. Please yeah. come, but, Jerry. Please come. Butler's too busy selling his soul 
in America. Um, but you know the good thing about Butler, as he mentioned, is he always brings he always brings James a nice bottle of whiskey when he when he when he comes. He always yeah. he, he always goes for a good one. Um, I think probably he would have invited Peter Mullen, but Mull- I think he's maybe a bit sore at Mullen for getting the for getting the role that he wanted in the Lighthouse uh, movie that I forgot the name of that we covered <laughs> last year. The <laughs> Vanishing. The vanishing, yeah. That's what, I mean. I, I mean, that role was just that was like that was Cosmo's bread and butter. That role, yeah. And I think you know he's yeah, James knows James knows how it works. He's been around the block a number a lot, but he'd like that. He'd like that gig, you know. He'd yeah, like that. he would have been good at that. I think he would have yeah. been very good. So I had a look at the the traditional order of ceremony of a a burn supper. Mm-hmm. So we start with piping in the guests. His Cosmo hired a piper, or does one of the guests pipe? Do you think, or has he hired a disabled piper? Um, <laughs> possibly that's not a, a, a tiger nest of vipers available yeah. wherever your podcasts. You, you'll get that yeah, joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, has he he's hired a piper in though, hasn't he? Standing yeah, at the door, full kilt on. Like he knows he, he does know a few guys that can play the pipes, you know. But he's he wants a professional because it needs to be perfect, you know. Yeah. The, the the risk is if he gets one of his mates to do it, then his his mate's got to be at the burn supper. He's taken up. He, he can't just ask his mate to come and pipe and then fuck him off. He's have to stay for dinner and stay for the dancing later on. And you know we mentioned before, Cosmo's quite house proud. Some of these guys are untested in a Cosmo hospitality environment. You know he's mm. been burnt. He's been burnt with Compton. He's been let down by McGregor getting pissed before the bell years ago when he was a young actor letting him down um, you know he doesn't want to be anything chance being let down by uh, McAvoy and Ian Robertson at New Year <laughs> had to throw those sheets in the bin so he's not going to he's not just going to get he's not he, he needs a professional that he knows once the piping's done he can pay him in cash and he's boring, whatever it is, hundred quid, five twenty pound notes, crisp from the from the ATM in the high street, and the and he's sporing, the the paper goes. There's no risk then, no risk to to shares yeah. Cosmo. So the paper has piped in all the guests. Um, everyone, obviously, all the gentlemen are wearing kilts or trues. He allows trues now. It used to be all kilts, but there was an incident one year involving. Alan coming in a kilt, and since then the dress code was altered to allow trues as well. He knows that Norton can't fit in his kilt anymore. Exactly. <laughs> doesn't want the man to feel uncomfortable because he's a designated driver for Rafferty and C. Smith. So, so you know, yeah, tartan trousers preferably, but smart trousers, yeah. fine. No, no chinos. No, 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 co- no, no. no chinos. No. no, everyone has to be wearing a bit of tartan. I think that's, yeah, yeah, that yeah. has to go. Um, so then the host does the welcoming speech, which is, of course, a, a rendition of Selkirk Grace, which obviously Cosmo's doing that because he's oh. the host. So he's, yeah. you know, he's in his element. And f- um, fr- from memory, by the way. Oh, he's yeah. Not, oh, he's not yeah, reading of it. Course. From no, memory. No, no. With no. with emotion and evoca- evo- an evocative emotional reading of Selkirk Grace. So the the first course is a soup course, which is traditionally either Scotch broth, potato soup, Colin skink, or cockaliki. What do you think Cosmo's serving? I'm thinking it's it's Scotch broth. I'm thinking it's Scotch broth. Uh, he did do cockaliki one year. Too many puerile jokes getting made round the table by some of the young actors. So, no, no, stick to Scotch broth. And he doesn't want Cullen skink because then the kitchen's just stinking a fish for exactly. the rest of the week. Exactly. So, you know, the extractor fans working overtime yeah. to get rid of that fishy <laughs> smell. So yeah. I think it, it's a nice, simple Scotch broth, traditional. Everyone enjoy it. There's no jokes. So then is the piping of the haggis and the address to the haggis. 
Cosmo obviously does the address, course, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's Cosmo's gig. This is yeah. this is this is his time. So he's ad- addressing, and it's again very traditional. It's just haggis, neeps, tatties, whiskey sauce. Absolutely. This, yeah. The basics done well. Then you're on to dessert, so it'll be Kranikin, won't it? They'll mm. be serving, and then oat cakes and cheese for after the meal. Yeah, oat cakes, but again with the cheese, you know, it needs to be strong. But it has to be like a strong, sharp cheddar. The last thing he wants is Mrs. Cosmo's curtains smelling like a French fridge. From like, yeah, you know what I mean. None, none, oh. of, your, none of your camemberts, none of your breeze, none of your stiltons. It needs to be nice, sharp cheddar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a nice Scottish mature cheddar that yeah. he's he's found. He's probably got a local farm shop that he goes to. Yeah, same exactly. with the haggis. I mean, he gets his haggis from his local butcher, and yeah. he doesn't even have to call in and reserve one. Like no. every year. The butcher puts aside the best haggis that he has, and he's like, "That's James's," mm-hmm. and Cosmo comes in and collects it. So, yeah, I yeah, agree with that. He on the cheese comes in, gives it a squeeze, weighs it in his hand, gets it in his bread basket like a rugby ball. That's the Cosmo test. Yeah, the farm shop guy knows. He knows it's that. He's not worried. He knows. He knows. What you've he's done well. Yeah. Uh, so then, after that, it's it's whiskey is traditionally served. So, what kind of whiskey do you think Cosmo's serving? I think he's a quite a heavy peaty guy like a Lafroy. Yeah, I think so. I think it depends though on what's you know, how the guests are behaving at this point. You know what I mean? Because he wants if you know if he feels that it's gone well, he's maybe gonna go and crack open a a bottle that Hollywood Gerald has brought him in years gone by. If he's a bit annoyed, I think it's just like a twelve year old McAllen or something like that everyone's getting, you know, it's thirty quid bottle, absolute top end that he's willing to spend. But if he's having a good time and you feel and he's and if he if he's comfortable with the way he's done Selkirk Grace and the way that he's addressed the haggis, if he feels good about it, he's probably going to get one of these expensive bottles out. So next is the address to the lassies, in which a man, one of the guests, thanks the woman for preparing the meal and gives his views on women. So I'm thinking maybe Gilly Gilchrist has done this, but he's made a slightly blue joke in <laughs> the remarks to the women, and Cosmo's not too happy about that. I think, I think like Gil- he's watching Gilly's card now. Yeah, I think Gilly's just guaranteed that he will not be getting invited back to Burn Supper in 2025 at the Cosmo but residence. The the ladies do get their um, reply. So there's a reply to the ladies in which a female gives her views on men. And it should be amusing, but not offensive. I'm thinking Elaine C. Smith probably is the ideal person to to give this kind of retort back to Gilchrist. It is Elaine C. Smith, but she accidentally drops an F-bomb toward the end. Um, You know, she's thinking about two doors down and everything, and she just accidentally drops a wee F-bomb. Well, no, she's just accidentally. She does it because she thinks that everybody will laugh, but it's, it's misjudged. And usually Elaine C. Smith is quite intuitive but uh, it's misjudged Mrs Cosmo takes a wee sideways look at, at James his face is fucking bright red furious he's not happy with the, the address to the lassies or the reply to the lassies no. he's he's furious with that and he's thinking right next year I need to pick someone else to, to do this I wish Gerard was here because <laughs> he would be <laughs> ideal for doing this I miss Gerard where is he so um, what he's going to do is he's going to start training Costello now. So basically, so like, they'll be when they're cleaning up at the end of the night, he's going to take Costello to one side and say, right, listen, next year, you're doing the address to the lassies. This is what you need to say. And then he'll, he'll, be, he'll be coaching them all year. So it'll basically be Cosmo's words coming out of Costello's mouth. But Costello knows, he wouldn't, he knows that what he can get away with and what he can't get away with. And the last thing he wants to do is, uh, is fuck up his meal ticket. <laughs> well, the final part of the actual 
Burn Supper is the closing ceremony where the host, Cosmo, picks one of the guests to give a vote of thanks to the host and everyone joins hands and sings Ard Lang Syne. So mm-hmm. who's Cosmo picking out of that lineup to to give the, the vote of thanks? Because, well, obviously we've had Gilly Girl Chris fuck things up. We've had Elaine C. Smith drop an F-bomb. Who's I think he's picking, picking out of the lineup. I, th- I think he's picking Norton because Norton's like yeah. the only one. The only, Norton's the only one apart from Cosmo who's still like sober because because Cos- because Norton's driving the the ladies back to Glasgow. So he's uh, so I think Cosmo's been over. Maybe they can have a little break, or maybe he's caught Norton coming out the toilet before that and said, "Listen, you can do the closing speech." You heard Gilchrist made a fucking absolute <laughs> cunt of it. You heard. <laughs> You even heard Elaine there, really surprised at her, and really, actually really disappointed, and I'm going to have Mrs. Cosmo have a word with her, because if I speak to her, I'll say something that everybody will regret. So it's you, Alex. <laughs> you're the only one that's not, you're the only one that's not at the drink. You're clo- No swearing, no off-colour jokes, just short and sweet, so we can get on with the singing. And I think Norton is a, a consummate professional, so he yeah. takes that in his stride and delivers a wonderful speech that, does, yeah. you know, thanks everyone, and Cosmo just sits back with his arms folded with a big smile on his face, just delighted at his choice of yeah. Norton and being able to do that, and then rubs his hands. Right, let's get the Kaylee on. Yeah, exactly. All's well that ends well, I think. And Mrs. Cosmo yeah. knows that. She knows that as long as the, as long as the end of the night's good, as long as uh, nobody blocks up the kludgy, Nobody like goes into one, a room that they shouldn't go in to do things they shouldn't do, and that the cleanup doesn't take too long. That James will be fine. He'll be he'll be yeah. fine in next year's. Well, that was why Petifer wasn't invited because obviously the <laughs> the toilet tobacco on New Year's Eve and yeah. you know haggis, tatties, neeps, quite heavy. So yeah, you know, exactly. You don't want to yeah. be yeah. You don't want to be taking that risk there. So no, exactly, exactly. But no, I think a good time will have been had by all. And uh, yeah, and you'll be thinking about Mrs. Cosmo knows that he's a, he's the consummate entertainer, James. Mm. You know, so she she knows that he loves to host and he just he just he just likes things to go well. He likes everybody to be comfortable. He doesn't mind an off colour joke if he's doing the pub with the chaps, you know, or he's on set with the guys. He, he likes an off colour joke as well as the as much as the next man. But when there's women around, and even if it's a woman that's making the joke, it's not on. No. Polite, polite company. <clears throat> And I think he's quite happy that that's kind of the the busy period over of Christmas, New Year, Burn Supper. He can now relax and he's not going to be hosting any events until probably summer barbecue for the Euros. Or, in fact, maybe Cosmo's going to the Euros. Maybe he is, yeah. Maybe he is. I mean, he's he's probably got to get the train to London uh, and out to Pinewood Studios the following week to do a couple of days' work on some Marvel movie or something like that. You know what I mean? So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh well well um yeah i hope you had a lovely burn supper james <laughs> and um i look forward to cosmos euro 2024 i did, i genuinely had to think what the year was then <laughs> we'll look forward to cosmos 2024 um adventure at the euros maybe later on in the year but i think we can put the big man to bed for a while okay uh right well before we go on to what we're going to be talking about today let's have a little word from our sponsors. And our sponsor is of course Doric Skateboards, a skateboard brand created by Gary Kemp, whose main focus is to explore the people and the culture of Aberdeen and the northeast of Scotland, and to create designs that reflect life in that area. Doric Skateboards screen print their own decks in their studio by Gary's fair hand, 
and they have produced some amazing designs over the years, including an Annie Lennox-inspired board, a Robert the Bruce deck, and a plenty of pop deck inspired by the old Bonacord trucks that used to drive around Aberdeen delivering fizzy drinks. Doric skateboards also replicate these amazing designs onto clothing on 100% organic cotton tees, hoodies, sweatshirts, and you can also fill your boots on stickers, pin badges, beanies, and caps. Gary regularly collaborates with local artists to ensure that he brings the latest designs to the market, but always with a Doric twist, including the Ballater Toy Shop design, inspired by Scotland the What, which we actually need to cover quite soon, Greg. So check out Doric Skateboards for yourself on doricskateboards.com, and you can follow them on Instagram at Doric Skateboards to see all the amazing designs on offer. And we are delighted to be able to offer you 15% off as listeners to this podcast. All you need to do is head to DoricSkateboards.com, have a look at all the amazing decks, stickers, badges, hoodies and tees on offer, and enter the promo code SWALLY. That's S-W-A-L-L-Y, same as the name of this podcast, and get your 15% off. That's DoricSkateboards.com, link in the description of this episode. Okay, Greg, so it was your choice on the SWALLY this episode, so why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? Uh, So I picked an absolute classic from BBC Scotland, 1987. Uh, the the late John Burns, so a cult, I guess, fair to give it that term, uh, series Tutti Frutti, um, starring Robbie Coltrane, Emma Thompson, Jake Darcy, Morris Roves. Pff, I mean, every, pretty much every working Scottish actor at the time, I think, is it? <laughs> Ron Donaghy, <laughs> Richard Wilson. Um, so it tells a story about the Majestics, uh, the legendary Scottish rock and roll band, on the eve of their 1986 Silver Jubilee tour, their lead singer, uh, Big Jazz McGlone, is killed in a car accident. The group's manager, Eddie Clockerty, brilliantly played by One Foot in the Graves' Richard Wilson, um, manages to talk Big Jazz's younger brother, uh, Danny, who's home from New York to attend the funeral, to join the band. In the in the interim, Danny meets an old um, classmate from art school called Susie Kettles, which might be the best name for any character in anything ever. <laughs> and uh, later on in the series, um, she is enticed to join the band on stage and play guitar. So... When I was reading about this, it hasn't been shown that often since it first came out. Uh, it was first screened on uh, the BBC, BBC One that is, in 1987, and then, uh, 1986, 1987, and then it was shown um, again ten month, only 10 months later on BBC Two, and I think mm. that's probably where I first saw that first episode because I'd only ever seen the first episode and I didn't really remember it all that well and I think my mum actually maybe made, maybe made me go to bed and stop watching it because some of the language wasn't suitable for a young 9, 10 year old mm. <laughs> as, as far as she was concerned. So going back and watching it again and what I watched it properly as an adult uh, was really interesting. Apparently one of the reasons that it's not been shown that often is to do with a rights issue to obviously the song Tutti Fruity famously written by uh, Little Richard and there was a bit of a dispute about how the song was used which stopped them from showing it but it was shown again on BBC4 um, just after Robbie Coltrane passed away um, over the kind of Christmas period so yeah I really enjoyed it what's your relationship been like with this have I just seen it before we watched it for the podcast i yeah i've definitely seen it before um and it might have been the same as you maybe it was when it was repeated on bbc2 um or it might be when it first went out i i vividly remember because i would have been six when it first aired 
And yeah. I remember dancing around the living room to the opening credits and right. singing Tutti Frutti. I don't think I watched the show and I probably right. wouldn't have understood it, you know, because I was six. But yeah. um, maybe I did watch it. But I, I definitely have seen this before, but not for years. So watching it back and the first time I've seen it in a very long time, I was able to just appreciate just how fucking great this show is. Um, mm. It's wonderful. This isn't just TV, it's art. And it's a key piece of Scottish history that needs to be recognised. And I know the BBC put them all up on iPlayer after Coltrane passed away, but it just feels like it was ignored for years. And I did read a little bit online about, has that led into the myth of this show being so good because it was ignored for so long. And it's right, like those involved in the production have said that there might have been a dispute over music rights, while mm. others have said it might have been something to do with the contracts of the actors. But uh, Byrne himself suggested it might have been a class bias against the production. Mm. Um, he said that he didn't know why, after nearly two decades, like the BBC had never re-shown it or released it on DVD. It is available now on DVD, but yeah. for a long time it wasn't. Um, and he said, I think it's quite a mystery. Like The real reason behind it still hasn't come out Possibly it's something to do with an issue over the songs. And this is speculating, but someone somewhere might have a cosy middle-class thing re-shown rather than something about lower-class people with a bit of intelligence. And <laughs> that says a lot about John Byrne that I fucking love. Um, yeah. That he just has a little snipe there as well. Um, because it's true, they would probably rather show something like The Good Life or something rather than, you know, Tutti Frutti because it is, it, it, it's dark. Um, but it's yeah. also hilarious at the same time. But... Yeah, this show is just incredible. From uh, the cast, oh, oh, there's not a single beat that goes wrong with the cast. They are all phenomenal. And one minute you are just crying with laughter, and the next minute you're feeling really sad and you know uh, upset at something that's happened. Um, it's just an absolute wonderful show, and I love that it shows just like the you know, this is the Majestics. They're built up as this mm. big band, and they're doing their Silver Jubilee tour, but they're playing bingo halls in Ardrossan <laughs> and <laughs> featuring on Radio Bucky. Like it's 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 so clever in terms of it just shows this small scale of driving around this beaten up transit van. <laughs> with the Majestics right on the side. It just brings tremendous comedy, and it's such a wonderful concept. It's, um, I mean, I wonder, you know, that you touched on it there. You know, we we often talk about, just be, 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 I think there's there's a, a definite thing that runs through the sort of best um, Scottish drama, uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those sort of phrases, but, it, you know, the term gallows humour. Mm. And I'm, I'm not sure there's a better example of it than this. And I wonder mm. if that's maybe what the BBC have struggled with over the years because it's, I mean, in, in terms of as an export, it's it's kind of, it's really, really Scottish. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's incredibly Scottish. You know, it, it's sort of jumping ahead a bit, but you know, one of the characters commits suicide, right? And it's a mm. young, it's probably, I think it's the sort of youngest character apart from um, the little babies. <laughs> mm. It's like the youngest character in the, in the drama. And her suicide is, uh, it's the source for a lot of jokes and a lot of, like, mm. in the last episodes. Now, you know, they, things have changed a lot since since this was written and, you know, what I think sort of anything kind of went in terms of being a, something to make fun of. But then obviously we're all a bit more sensitive now. But I wonder if, like, if that's been the BBC's problem with it because maybe maybe it didn't really resonate in England when they showed it. If, if they showed it yeah. in England, I don't know if they did. And I can imagine that 
I mean, if I, I I've never, if I got my wife to watch this, I don't, I think she would. One, she wouldn't enjoy it because you know, she, then she would fall out with me for making her watch it. But um, a lot of it is um, would just go over her head. They like, in massively over her head, you know. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right because there are in the the last episodes. Uh, Dennis does refer a few times to, uh just drop Danny off at Suicide Palace." Or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a young girl who's like, I think she's 23. I think they, um, Vincent says at one point, has yeah. just committed suicide. But they're they're making jokes about it. Um, there's a lot of brave decisions in this, I think, and mm. I, I agree with you. It's not for everyone. I did read that John Byrne submitted the script. Effectively, he got approached from the BBC, and they said they wanted to make a, a TV show called Tutti Fruity, mm-hmm. um, based around the Little Richard song. And he was like, right, I'll write a script, but I don't want anything changed. Like, right. there's no dra- no redrafts, nothing. But I will give you a script, but I don't want anything changed. Mm-hmm. So he submitted the script, and immediately the person was like, the opening scene is like a six-minute funeral scene, where there's like yeah. hardly any dialogue, and, you know, and it's gone. <laughs> and he's like, no, I said to you, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And Burn... Submit the scripts. He picked the director. He picked the cast, and then that was it. He's he, apparently he like showed up for like one day of filming, and that was it. And the first time he saw it was when it aired live on the BBC, yeah. and he said, "I was so happy. Not a single thing had been changed. It was exactly <laughs> as he'd written it. Like nothing had been changed because he'd said you can't change yeah. anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of bravery in, as I say, that opening funeral scene, which is hilarious but also you know it's a it's a funeral it's sad yeah. but when they're you know walking down with a guitar like big jazz it's 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 funny and there's a lot of bravery i think in the scenes between coltrane and thompson mm. um there's a lot of scenes that go on for quite a long time but they're necessary yeah. and you don't see that nowadays in in kind of tv shows but it works so well because they build up the relationship and you look at Coltrane, and you look at Emma Thompson, who, let's just get this out of the way, is fucking beautiful in this. Mm, like, mm. absolutely amazing. You would never put those two together, but the way they build up that relationship, when it actually happens, you believe it, and you're invested in it, and you're like, yeah, no, I can totally see how he's won her over, because... Yeah. You know, it's the small things like obviously he starts up, you know, he's back at her flat and then he's sleeping in the bath and then he gets upgraded to the sofa and then he gets upgraded to the bedroom floor and then he gets upgraded to the bed. And it's the slow buildup of this relationship. I mean, one of his first lines to her is like, you were a dog in art school. (laughs) You're thinking, how how would this work? You're this, no offense to Coltrane, but you're this fat mess in a powder blue suit. Like living in a, a slum in New York. Susie Kettles is, is lovely. How yeah. how are you going to do this? But you actually believe it when it happens because they've built it up so well over the course of the six episodes. I mean, you said there, there's a lot of kind of brave decisions. And, and you know, we tend to be sort of tend to look at these things through the lens of modern drama. You know what I mean? Now, if, if this was made now, it would be probably... If it was on one of the streamers, it would be at least twelve episodes, right? If it was on the if it was mm. on the BBC now, it would probably be four or maybe even three yeah. episodes, um, like so three hours instead of six hours. So in some of the things that we've covered, like Elephant's Graveyards and um, the, the kind of Pyramid Dougal stuff, there's a lot of long scenes where the characters are having conversations. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. T- you know, and a lot of the conversations are those characters' viewpoints on whatever, and not even necessarily related to the narrative of the story. Um, mm-hmm. But 
for this, like those scenes you mentioned that are long, but what it does, rather than us learning everything there is to know about Kettles in the first couple of episodes, we we don't find out that she's been that she's married to like a fucking mm. horrible guy until I think episode four or something yeah. like that. So like we've we've, been, we've spent four hours with her before we realise that we don't realise that she can play the guitar until mm-hmm. like episode three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it it, it builds, it, it keeps revealing things about her character all the way through. Like you know, toward at the end of the the fifth episode, I think like we discover that she's actually a fucking brilliant artist and she's yeah. got all these paintings under the bed. Um, you know, like whereas at the beginning, she all we know about her in the first episode is she works in a bar and she went to Glasgow School of Art and she knows Danny from there. That's all we really know about her. And she's got like quite a nice uh, tenement flat, <laughs> by the way. Um, yeah. So you know, so that that it's it's real kind of mastery. And the thing is, as well, I think John Burns' um, probably most famous bit of work before this would have been Slab Boys, which is like a ninety minute mm. play. So you, so he's got to you, he's got to tell you everything that you need to know about these characters and tell a story about these characters in ninety minutes. And here he's been given six hours to do that, and he's just done it in his own intimidable way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's actually um, it's it's towards the end of episode six that you find out she's got all those paintings under. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so the last episode. Like, so you know she's been at Glasgow School of Art. You know, you know, kind of what she's done. But effectively, you know, she's just a waitress. And yeah, yeah. It's it's within the last twenty minutes that you find out she's got all these paintings under her bed, and they're fucking incredible. And yeah. Exactly as you say, it's just a slow build-up of the characters, and he genuinely just takes time. To, to develop. I mean, you would never see nowadays, and it's one of my favourite scenes, of three guys sitting watching Postman Pat in Gaelic <laughs> for like a five-minute scene. Yeah. And it's it, that is hilarious, that scene, when Jake Darcy's like, why are they speaking funny? And Vincent's <laughs> like, because it's for Bairns. And... <laughs> And then Jake Darcy goes out to make a phone call and he comes back and his first question is, what happened to the missing postal orders? (laughs) 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 It's little things like that are just absolutely brilliant in this show. And it's just little nuances and little kind of jokes that make it so it works so well. And you wouldn't have got that with something nowadays, I don't think. They'd be brave enough to do that. And this is just such brave filmmaking. So, I mean, to talk about cast, for example. So, John Byrne, I think, was very, as I've said, was very strict of, nope, I do it my way or that's it. So, he um, he sat down with the head of the, the drama department at BBC in Glasgow, Bill Bryden, and spoke about cast. And he said, I want to cast Robbie Coltrane as a lead. And Bill Bryden went, who? And this shows the the kind of depth of, of work that John Byrne did. He said, I've just um, I've just worked with him. He played a cat in a panto that I wrote <laughs> um, for the Borderline Theatre. And according to Byrne, like Bryden's jaw just dropped. And he's like, what? You want me to cast a guy that's just been in a panto as the lead actor in this BBC TV show? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and Byrne was like, no, I'm not taking anything like, it, it's Robbie Coltrane. He is the lead for this, without a doubt. And eventually, the guy was like, okay, fine. Do whatever you want. And <laughs> wow. I mean, this kind of... Coltrane was kind of, not big, but, you know, he'd been in a kick up the 80s and laughing mm. to pay my license fee. And he was quite known, but this was his breakout role, really. Well, I mean, his his cinema, <laughs> his early cinema um, credits 
are quite funny. So his first one is Flash Gordon, the <laughs> where he plays he plays Man at Airfield. Um, <laughs> he's in the the sort of ladies scum movie, sort of borstal movie called Scrubbers, where he plays Puff Guts. And then of course he's in Crawl. Now I watched mm. Crawl last year because I was in America. I was jet lagged. And I was awake at like half three in the morning, sailing through the channels when I came across Crawl, and I was quite, I was quite excited to see him. He, he, he plays Rune, and he's also in National Lampoon's European Vacation as Man in Bathroom. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that Tutti Frutti, uh, without Tutti Frutti, there'd be no James Bond roles for him. There'd be no mm. Harry Potter. There'd be no Hagrid and all that kind of thing, and the other. All the other stuff that he went on to do, for sure. Oh, Definitely cracker. made him. Cracker, yeah. Nuns on the run. <laughs> Tartan special adverts. <laughs> yeah, Tartan special adverts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, let's put him on the map. And he is brilliant. I mean, he plays two roles. He plays Big Jazza and Danny. And, okay, it's not him singing, but he's playing them. <clears throat> Jazza, but yeah. he is brilliant in this. Um, oh. Just fantastic and such a, a likable guy. But, you know, he has a bit of a short fuse. Him and Vincent, you know, come to head and come to blows a few times um, and have some arguments. But overall, he's just this this guy who has just met this girl and he's in love with and is yeah. roped into to singing in this band that he doesn't really want to do. But you can tell he kind of enjoys it towards the end. I mean, what I like about the character of Danny is initially, you know, he's sort of given it the big, oh, I'm living aloft in New York, Mm. etc. But, you know, like in other dramas, the reveal that all that's bullshit might come halfway into the series. But yes. it, it, it just comes clean pretty much straight away to Kettles. Mm-hmm. You know, well, actually, you know, I'm sharing a sharing a, a room with one guy and I play the piano. He sleeps in the bed during the day. and uh, 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 He sleeps in the bed at night. I sleep in the bed during the day. He makes funny shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do with Coblin, if you must know. Coblin? Ah, he sells these funny shoes and I shut up about it. What's he doing sharing an artist's loft for if he sells funny shoes? That's cheap. Cheap and nasty and not very clean. In fact, it's manky if you want to know. And you're right, it isn't a loft. is isn't even a garret, it's a duplex. And you can't get upstairs to the bedroom, because there isn't a staircase. There's a bedroom all right, there isn't a stair. The room downstairs isn't very big. Can't get a big room in New York unless you get big bucks. Now, haven't you, right? How wee is it? Tiny, about nine feet square. I sleep in the bed during the day while a funny shoe salesman pounds the sidewalks looking for clients with funny feet. Then when he comes back, I get up. There's always four or five junkies hanging around the hallway, filling the place up, throwing dirty needles at folk. Christ. Frightened to go down to the toilet sometimes. But yeah, inspired casting, and I think he's just a, a fantastic character, and you're kind of really going for him. You know, in the last episode where you kind of think he's he's getting replaced with, with Kettles, you're like, no, mm. no, but he, you know, sorts it out and yeah, ends yeah. up playing with the Majestics and puts on an amazing show. And you see that even in the, the first episode where he plays the first gig, which is the yeah. tribute to, um, to Jazza. Yeah. And... He's, you don't see it, but they allude that he was shite in the first half. And then Kettles comes in and he just picks up his game. And yeah, yeah. immediately you're like, oh, that's nice. Like, she's inspired him. So yeah. it's, it, yeah, it's, again, setting the kind of foundations of the, the relationship they have. And mm-hmm. it's so lovely, I think. 
Yeah, and the thing is, is you know, I think the the mark of every good drama is that when it's the last scene of the last episode is finished, you feel a bit bereft because you want to you want you want more time with these characters. You know, they, there was yeah. only ever this was only only ever one series of this, so. These like six hours. This is the only time you're going to get to meet Susie Kettles and Danny McGlone and Vincent Driver, and, um, and we'll we'll come on to her later on. Uh, Miss Toner, who is a fucking brilliant character, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Like you know, and the fact that this is the, the only time they will never we we never find out what happens. At the end, mm. we never find out. You know, did that? Did, did, did Danny and Kettles? Does it work out? Do they last? Do they go to? Do they go to New York together? Do they stay in Glasgow? Do, do the, the band keep going? What happens to what happens to Vincent? And everything. And you know, and it's not just the writing; it's the performance. And they, to your point, Robbie Coltrane coming from a sort of sketch comedy, which is what he was doing most of his mm. acting in, apart from the odd small part in the odd film here or there before this. <laughs> Flash Gordon and Krull. <laughs> yeah, man in airfield. I mean, he's he's absolutely brilliant. You know, you would you you would think that he was like a leading man. Yeah, that had been that had done tons that had led tons of things like this before. You know, he absolutely commands the screen when he's on, and not just because of the size of him. Because obviously, we can't not talk about Coltrane and not talk about how yeah, big he is. But it's a unit. he he just commands the screen with his presence, and it's not because he's wearing like a powder blue suit, you know, or a yeah, yeah. A, a, a silver suit. Um, <laughs> In a couple of scenes, he just absolutely commands the the screen, and his performance is just wonderful. I'd, um, I'd, I'd like to have seen more of the tartan suit. Yes, yeah, that was yes. nice. I liked that. It was a yeah, that was a really nice suit. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, we're talking about her um, Emma Thompson as, as Susie Kettle. So again, this was kind of her breakout role as well. She'd done a few mm. things, and she was actually a stand-up comedian before That's going right, into yeah. this, and then gets this role of Susie Kettles, and then it just kind of takes off from there. And she's brilliant, and I think she does a great Scottish accent as well. I mean, her mother was Scottish, but yeah, she hadn't lived in Scotland. But um, yeah, I think she does a, a really good accent. I was really impressed. But it's, the thing is as well, it's not even just a Scottish accent. It's a Glasgow accent that she's doing. Yeah. Um, and we we know from the ninety one <laughs> productions that we've uh, that we've covered that Scottish accents not that easy to do, yeah. and a lot of a lot of fine actors uh, really struggle with it. But um, yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. I mean, you, you, she could there's a one or two sort of inflections in the odd word here mm-hmm. or there, but you have to you have to really be listening for it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, she's great. That accent is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you're right. I think a lot of actors they either do like a, an Edinburgh accent because that's kind of easy-ish because it's kind mm. of a, a light Englishy brogue or doing a Glasgow accent you end up going like full groundskeeper Willie and yeah, you know hamming it up but her accent is so you're right a couple of times it slips a little bit but it's yeah. it's a soft Glasgow accent and you can yeah. you know, it, it's remarkable that she was able to do that yeah and a great performance and a great character and you're right Susie Kettles is just one of the best names like whenever Coltrane just shouts Kettles it's oh yeah. It's it's so good. I love it. It's the way he says it, like kills, kills. <laughs> you know? I just and I just love the fact that even when they sort of hit it off and they they kind of get together, he still calls her kills. <laughs> never never calls her by her first name. <laughs> Um, so the rest of the band, well, come on, Morris Roves is Vincent, an absolute fucking tour de force of a performance. 
Um, he just does everything in this. Mm. He shows anger. Because that's the thing. I think Danny, Coltrane's Danny, he's kind of always in the same mood in a way. He yeah. does show anger a couple of times, but generally. Mm-hmm. Vincent just goes on this journey throughout the whole show and you see him happy, you see him angry. Like I've mentioned with the Postman Pat thing, that's just hilarious. Episode five, when they're in the studio and he has a fight with Danny and he's in the wheelchair going towards the wall. Hug me back! Hug me back! <laughs> it's yeah. it's just... Uh, episode six, when he's on the crutches walking down the street, his slapstick comedy timing is yeah. fucking impeccable. Morris Rose just having given the performance of his career in this. Yeah, yeah, because like, we're used to him, you know, playing sort of either authoritative or kind of gangstery type roles. Mm. You know, um, never the first time I really seen him um, doing something like this. I was quite surprised, actually, by like I knew he was in it, but when I saw the part he was playing, I was like, oh, because he's you know he's he's sort of wiry, like mm. you would like a sort of hard living sort of rock star. You know, he's got the sort of Keith Richards kind of physique um, of sort of vodka and not enough to eat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But he, um, yeah, he, you know, like I'm never sure how I'm supposed to feel about him because like it's sometimes I'm rooting for him and sometimes I'm kind of rooting for Kettles because for her to be in the band he kind of needs to be incapacitated which of course he ends up being a couple of Mm. times um and so yeah I mean he, he sort of challenges you a bit I think you know yeah, yeah. Like, you know, do I like him? Am I, am, do we do we want him to make it to the gig at the end, or but then I won't give it, I won't ruin it just yet. But then what he does at the very very end is kind of heartbreaking, you yeah. know, because like we're we're sort of you know we know that he's got a reputation as a shagger and has done for years, and yet he's and he's sort of infatuated with this Galena, who it's difficult to see what what he's so infatuated about with her. You know what I mean? It's like it's sometimes she's, she, she's twenty three. That's why. <laughs> yeah, you sometimes think it's just because you know she's got her own place and she's a young girl and stuff. And but he's you know for him it's just another notch in the bedpost. It's like a sort of somebody he can ring up when he doesn't want to sleep with his wife or he hasn't got a lumber somewhere else. But there are other times if you really he really does love her you know especially yeah. when she when she kills herself he does though he does love her because he wants her to join the band when yeah. that first episode when they're, they're around his one of his two houses yeah um you know <laughs> with the with the carpet and they have to have their shoes off and he's got the coasters out yeah. for whiskey he's yeah. trying to get glenna in the band because as he says like it's it's music's changing look at the eurythmics mm. look at the pretenders and yeah. and all the other guys are horrified by that yeah, he does. He genuinely feels for Glenna. And I totally get what you mean. It's difficult to root for him in a way because he's obviously a fucking arsehole. You know, he's cheating on his wife. He's got two houses. He's living a separate life, effectively, with, yeah. with Glenna. And he's, he's, he's not even very nice to Glenna quite a lot of the time. No, he's not. He's not a nice kind of character, but you do kind of like root for him a little bit as well. Yeah. And I think it's a great performance in Roves. You know, the in the last episode of the scene, and he repeats it twice, when he says, like, his wife Noreen has burnt all his clothes. Yeah. Nine pairs of gabardine hockey trousers, five wind cheaters, two crombie overcoats, a fair aisle turtleneck that I got from one of the coasters, 16 <laughs> pairs of slip-ons and shirts, and God knows how many shirts. Most of them were from Esquires. And <laughs> you feel the pain, and then he repeats it later when he's shouting at Glenna as she's driving, um, uh, Noreen, when she's driving mm. away in the car, and he's got his crutches and he's shouting about these fucking nine pairs of gabardine hockey <laughs> treasers. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he's just, I mean, he's hes just a, such a good actor, Morris Rose, so he is. And he's, like I said, it's just not the sort of role that I would have associated with him previously. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I, pa- when we've covered him on the podcast before, it has been like, you know, gangsters or big kind of drug lord bosses or... Yeah. Um, or God, you know? So <laughs> it's. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I was reading about his uh, career, and uh, I mean, he'd around for a. I mean, he's one of these guys that was in so many things that Wikipedia can only have a partial filmography because nobody's sort mm-hmm. of taking the time to. But he's in stuff like Oh, What a Lovely War and uh, Escape to Victory, the uh, oh, Michael wow. K. The Michael Caine and Pelly. <laughs> I never realised he was in Escape to Victory. Holy shit! He plays Captain Pity. You know he's in he's in the da- he plays Jimmy Gordon in the Damn United, which is a fucking great film. Now, obviously, because I was obviously doing research for this, and I was looking him up and looked on IMDb, and that's one of the first photos that comes up. And I was like, "Fuck, I forgot he was in the Damn United." And yeah. my instant thought was, "I need to watch that again because that's such mm. a good fucking film." Like, it's I great. and I'm, I want to read the book again as well because I absolutely yeah. love the book. But yeah, I genuinely thought I need to watch that again because yeah. that's a great film. But yeah, I mean, he's just he's been been acting since like. The mid nineteen sixties, and he passed. He didn't pass away till two thousand uh, two thousand twenty at eighty three. Mm. I wonder if uh, I wonder if COVID got him. Mm. But yeah, but absolutely phenomenal actor. Um, and again, he's one of these actors that we we've had a few of them on over the the things that we've done. Where you, you kind of wonder why you know why wasn't he like a leading man? You know, mm. you know the like, sort of famously um, David Heyman did the Linda the Plant show uh, Trial and Retribution, which was brilliant. Yeah. It's a great show. And it's he he led it. And you think, well, you can imagine Roves leading something similar. You know, a kind of yeah. gritty sort of police procedural or something like that. But, you know, I guess not everybody can can do it, can be that be as lucky as others can no. so. I mean he's just absolutely phenomenal in this. I, I just mm. I think he's just fantastic um yeah. in this show. Just absolutely wonderful. Um then making up the rest of the band, I, I guess we could do them kind of together we have jake darcy as fud and uh stuart mcguckin as bomber and again two great characters they kind of come as a double act in a way like yeah, usually a do. lot of the scenes of the two of them and fud does a lot for bomber but it grows yeah. a backbone in the last episode which is does, really nice yeah. to see and he's kind of like nah nah i'm not doing you know you're shite anymore um yeah Great to yeah. see, but yeah, Jake Darcy just oh, he's so funny and so brilliant in this. He's great in it. I, you know, he's, he's really, really funny because he's sort of he's in a lot of ways he's like the kind of heart of it, and mm. you know because he's just he's a nice fella. To you, make to your point, like, we never we never see Bomba's wife. We just he yeah. always seems to, he always seems to be looking after his twins, and uh, you know, and Fuds Fuds famously got what has got seven or nine kids already. Seven, yeah, seven, seven boys. Yeah. Yeah, seven points. So he's, he knows how to cr- he knows how to crush the rusk up and put it in the milk and all, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and, he, and he, he, ta- he, he he gets absolute dog's abuse from Vinny and Bomba and to from Danny, but to a much lesser extent. Mm. And he just it just it doesn't seem to phase him at all until that very last episode when he just decides that he's you know he's looking forward to playing the pavilion. He, he, he doesn't agree with this uh, with this thing that uh, Bomba and uh, Eddie are trying to figure to get 
Danny out the band. Obviously, mm. Eddie's sore at him because he's 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 told the TV about how they basically doctored uh, Majestic's only hit single by buying up all the records themselves and and everything. And you know, and I think Bomba just doesn't really like him and just wants him out. You know, and Fud sees the value in having Danny in the band and and what, and he's he, he won't go along with it. I think to compare it to obviously the what we would you know the go to for Scottish things, Train Spotting. You know, Fud is the spot of the group in yeah. terms of he's got a good heart he's always doing the right thing you're rooting for him but he's just never quite there if no. <laughs> that makes sense but as I say he does genuinely one of the funniest lines um, mm. but he comes back in and he asks what happened to the missing postal orders <laughs> which is both with Pat and Gaelic um, um, he's brilliant absolutely brilliant um, and yeah Bomba you know, he's a, a a fiery kind of character, quick to lose his temper, but obviously he's got the twins. And I, I, I do like those moments when they're rehearsing in his house and he's got the towels over the drum kit and stuff for yeah. a baby grow over <laughs> to muffle the noise. And then Ron Donaghy as Dennis, their roadie, has some of the funniest lines, I think. And he is very much in it for the kind of comedic value. Um, you know, even from earlier on when he's, one of his first scenes is when he's in the van with Danny and they're speaking about Jazz's death and he's like, yeah. to get kebabs. nobody asked me if I wanted a kebab. And <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. But for me, he is in his element when they're recording the album and he's in the studio mm. and he's on the microphone all the time. And he's just, <laughs> Joe 90 is packing up his stuff. <laughs> Says he wants to go home and see his kids before they grow up. <laughs> that is it. The goggles are in the pocket. He has definitely took the hump. Right no, no, that's fine. On you go, pal. Just remember you walked out on one of the top pro bands in the country. If that bunch haven't sorted themselves out by the time I get back, I'm turning the sprinklers on. Where's the you going, you dwarf? You got contact to work this. A monkey can do it better. Bug it off. That's all right, you guys. I've just took his name off his sleeve. He's, he's a fantastic in those scenes. And just absolutely cracking me up and what a great character you know and yeah yeah, Ron Donaghy what a legend and it was so good to see him in this and Mm. you know a huge part in it as well yeah yeah because there are things I've had him in like uh, looking after Jojo for example it's a smaller you know maybe a scene here or there Um, Mm. so to to have him as one of the I mean he's he's like a a ball hair off being one of the leads really isn't he yeah yeah yeah, he's great, and he's 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 a really he's got a real affinity for the humour. I think you know what I mean, uh, Donaghy. That yeah. he, he he knows where it comes from. Like, the same as Coltrane, you know, Coltrane's from Glasgow and uh, the same part of the world um, as uh, John Byrne. But uh, he um, Donaghy, he knows where the, he knows that humour. He knows Gal. He's obviously grown up with kind of Gallows humour. So like mm. when he makes when he makes a joke about Glenn's suicide, it's. You know, I it's why I'm laughing. <laughs> don't why I'm laughing either. It's um, you know, it comes from a really authentic place, and I think for that reason, it's not. I, you know, it's not sensitive. You know what I mean? You don't feel particularly. There's no sort of trigger in a well, not for me at least. But um, yeah, it's really, really, really <laughs> funny. Is then it's brilliant. No, he's fantastic. Yeah, you're right. The scenes he has with Coltrane, because there's quite a few scenes where it's just mm. the, the two of them, and yeah. you can tell they're just kind of bouncing off each other. 
And, yeah. and it's wonderful to see. However, that's not the best double act in this show. The best double act has to go to Richard Wilson and Katie <laughs> Murphy as Miss Toner and <laughs> Mr. Clockerty. <laughs> Katie Murphy in this is just an absolute revelation. Like every time she's on screen, I just crack up with her one-liners. And the relationship she has with Richard Wilson is just phenomenal. And, and hey, taking nothing away from Richard Wilson, he is amazing in this as Eddie Clockerty. Uh, this was three years before he got one foot in the grave. Yeah. And I mean, that's Richard Wilson will ever, ever be associated with Victor Melju and One Foot in the Grave. But yeah. as Eddie Clockerty, he is just fantastic. And the chemistry those two have is just insane. And I'd, I'd love a spin-off of those two just going about their daily stuff, you know, getting the train up from London. She's, these biscuits are stolen. And oh, <laughs> she's just so good. Like when they get Glenna over on the train and they're taking a piss out of the card again, she's made <laughs> for fits. How long did it take you to knit? All the time I was in hospital. As long as that, eh? Well, that's what I mean. You'd have to charge a fortune. Ten or twelve pounds at least. I think both of you are horrible. Well, how about you thinking about a fiver? I wish I'd never came and sat here now. Oh, mind your feet, will you? What did you say to the lassie? I never said nothing. What did I say? I'm telling Vincent. No, wait a minute. Uh, what's her name again? Glennis. Uh, wait a second, Glennis. It's Glenna. <laughs> You have got it. Glenna, come back. Glenna. <laughs> they are so evil and callous people, but they're just wonderful together. <laughs> and I loved those scenes. And again, that's so brave from John Byrne to do that because really, they're not part of the band. They're not part of no. the, the storyline, but they are so well needed. And it just provides, like every scene they have, it's comic relief. It's so good. It's his voice because he's got such a distinctive voice Richard Wilson the way the way he says Miss Toner you know um <laughs> yeah are you being sarcastic Miss Toner <laughs> you know, uh, and like you're never it's never really I don't think it's really fully established you know what the relationship is because like she's his assistant but mm. then they, they, they're sharing hotel rooms and she's like fixing his she's the one scene where she kind of fixes his hat or something like that and in a quite a sort of um tactile way but you know they well she's she's being tactile in her gesture but in what she she's been like fucking absolutely crucifying in what she's saying you know i i i mean there's there's no it's not a sexual relationship at all she says at one point like he employs me and i effectively abuse him like i I think it is maybe like a little sadomasochistic kind of thing um at least and she does say at one point um i'm he's with me but i'm no with him yeah that kind of makes sense and and that's that's kind of a get like he he gets off in the relationship because he does say a couple of times and I, genuinely i think only richard wilson could say in this word and he's like miss toner you know what's your tone yeah. you'll be getting your jotters yes. and <laughs> and she's like aye that'll be right and you know like she's she's got him over a barrel like yeah. I, I don't know what the relationship is but i also love that it's never fully explored and we don't actually yeah. know and that yeah, makes yeah. it so much better that you're kind of like what is the deal with these two like what is going on but You've a pleasant enough journey through. Nice bunch of lads, nice bunch. No, keep that arm up. Yeah, do you mind, sweetheart? Don't mind what? Standing here like an idiot, holding on to slack your bum when I could be downstairs in the bar having a large gin and tonic. What do you think? Pay no attention to Miss Toner, Danny. She's going to get a jorters when we get back. Just try it. 
wonderful um yeah the scenes they have you know as you say when they're in the hotel room and mm. she's painting her toenails waiting for the show to come on and then it gets replaced by an episode of the beach grove garden <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's um uh it's so good but yeah that scene on the train when they're taking the piss out of glenna is um <laughs> is just hilarious and ah uh, she's just wonderful um katie murphy i mean i i mean we covered her previously in the steamy and, yeah. and she was great in that as well. And for me, she was kind of a staple of growing up because she was in Spats mm. and yeah. she was in Mike and Angelo as well. And that was, you know, stuff I, I was. And she's also in um, the follow-up, uh, not follow-up to Tutti Fruity, but John Byrne's next six-part um, series, yeah. Your Cheating Heart, which yeah. we will cover at some point in the Swally, obviously um, featuring his wife at the time, Tilda Swinton. Mm. And yeah, I mean, she now... She hasn't been in anything for a while. She pops up occasionally, but she's actually a, a teacher now. Yes, um, that's right. I read that. But yeah, yeah she's uh, she is just incredible. Like she genuinely nearly steals it for me in this because the scenes that she's in and ah, oh, she's just wonderful. Yeah, she's really good. She's really funny, and I I'm like you. Like she's one of those ones that kind of grown up watching the TV, but I, I'd never seen her playing a character like this, especially since, apart from the steamy, it is kind of kids' programs that I associate her with. When I th- yeah. she's got, because she's got quite a distinctive sort of look about her, you know what I mean? That's probably why she's been so successful as an actress. But um, So they see her playing this, this quite adult, sharp, barbed, and funny character. It was really mm. good. It was really nice. Yeah. No, it was wonderful. Um, yeah, absolutely loved her performance in this. There are so many similarities to this um, with one of my favourite films of all time, which is This is Spinal Tap. And yeah. <laughs> you kind of kind of get that feeling. But the characters in this are just so much more well-rounded and believable. And is it because we're Scottish that we can identify with them more, if you know what I mean? Like, we've all seen guys like that. We all know a guy like that. And yeah. it's it's just so wonderful and and just dripping in realism. And I think it's it's a rare thing that you can find someone that is so dedicated to the city. And I think John Byrne definitely was that. Like his his love of Glasgow and the city is so obvious in everything he's done. You know, from yeah. Slap Boys to Tutti Frutti, and and he is like it's quite rare you get that. Like I, I can think of maybe um, Alan Bleasdale to Liverpool. Or yeah. Alan Bennett to Leeds, for example. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, John Byrne and Glasgow is just something that you just, they just go together so well and associate. That's, it. it's kind of in his DNA. He just gets it. Yeah. And the thing that I, the thing that I like about his writing, um, it, you know, when it comes to characterization and stuff, he's not, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far to say that, that he doesn't like his characters. I think it's the opposite. But he doesn't sort of spare them the rod. You know what I mean? If you think mm. about, you know, we think about the character of Vincent. So he's, you know, he's created the character. Morris Rose has brought it to life. But Vincent gets, he gets stabbed in the bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> right? He gets, he gets, he gets, he's in a car accident. Gets whacked over the head. And then at the end, he has him set himself on fire on stage. And he gets he gets all his clothes burnt as well. And he gets all his clothes burnt. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and then so you're like you know, you're sort of like, oh yeah, I wonder why is he decided that this is the that this is how it should end? You know, what, what why is he decided that Vincent deserves that ending? And we never we don't find out whether Vincent died after setting himself on fire. I suspect that he probably didn't mm. and it's just another another horrific injury that he probably had to deal with. <laughs> For a while, you know, I think I think if there had been an episode seven of this, 
I think I don't think we would have had. I don't think that would be the end of Vincent. Um, I think he's too good a character for that. I mean, he's wearing obviously leather jacket and leather trousers now. He's yeah. covered it in like ninety percent Polish vodka and then set yeah. himself on fire. Would the leather protect him or would it melt to him? I think it like, might melt. It might melt to him. I think. Yeah, but I, I, I feel like Burn would keep him alive anyway, <laughs> despite just the, to see him suffer in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, just yeah. To, I'd like to to think that he he probably did survive, but yeah, with probably life changing injuries in terms I mean, of the even in even in Slab Boys. I mean, he, he sort of said, "What's the what's the main character in Slab Boys? The one not played by." Gerard Kelly. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, God. So Hector's the young boy that they take the piss out of. Um, I cannot remember now. You know, they, I know that from watching interviews with John Byrne that um, that character is based on him to some extent. To some mm. extent, you know, because he's, you know, he was working as a slab boy at the time. He was trying to get into art school and stuff. Yet, you know, they, that character doesn't get into art school there's no happy yeah. ending he loses his job and he's not yeah. back from Glasgow School of Art at the end of the um, uh, film is the character's name oh yeah, Phil. yeah. He, he doesn't get in and he gets knocked back and there's no happy ending for him and it's you know you're like you, you, I, I, I always think that when writers when they're especially if they base a character on themselves to some extent probably the instinct is for that character to go through a trial but then come out the other end with some semblance of a happy ending <laughs> Yeah, uh, some just, sort of redemption. Yeah, just just because of the the sort of writer's vanity, but that's that doesn't seem to be the case with John Byrne. You know. Yeah, so it, you would think in a normal kind of BBC drama, you would see Vincent would realise the error of his ways, um, get back with Noreen, gets yeah. Noreen up the duff, and <laughs> welcomes Susie into the Majestics, and they play as. Because, I mean, Jazza was the rhythm guitarist and singer, so they don't have yeah. a rhythm guitarist now. So yeah. Kettles could be the rhythm guitarist, Vincent lead guitar, Danny yeah. on keyboards, which they never had before, I guess, because, no. yeah. Um, yeah, that would be kind of the redemption. Everyone's happy. Everyone loves it. The show is great. It, I'm kind of imagining, you know, like the end of the full Monty, but without the yeah. nakedness, you know, like yeah, yeah. everyone's cheering at the pavilion. The Majestics are back. Yes. Yeah. But no, he ends it with fucking Vincent setting himself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Walking on the stage. And, 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 and the thing is, like, all the, we, we don't, considering that there's six hours of this, we don't really see a lot of the bands performing, really, in that time. No. We just see bits and bobs. So I was expecting, I think, I mean, I actually think that the, what we see of the, the Glasgow Pavilion concert, I think that's the most that we see of them playing live, I think, to be mm. fair. But, you know, the, the audience are kind of are getting into it and we're sort of, we kind of feel like it's coming together. You know, Vincent yeah. joins them on stage. They're everyone's playing quite well it's you know and you know is this it like exactly like to your point you sort of think you know there's going to be like a, a sort of renaissance for the band here and then it's the it's the opposite really you know one of the band members sets itself on fire and then it just ends it just ends like yeah, yeah. you know they, the closest thing we get to happy ending <laughs> is is uh, Kettles and Danny having a, like a very a very quick little kiss right when they're playing the song and yeah. then we and we sort of think, oh, you know, they've kind of worked it out. That's great. And then tragedy. So legend has it that Big Jazza could drink 20 pints of heavy in one sitting. Do you think you could manage to drink 20 pints of heavy? I'm not sure I could manage to drink five pints of heavy in one sitting these days. <laughs> yeah, I think honest. I would struggle as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a bit much, I think. Yeah. 
So, but um, a fair play to Big Jazza. Impressive, but that's obviously why he wrapped the car around a lamppost when he was out to get kebabs. And that's another great thing they do, those scenes where he's just lying in the car, wrapped around the bus shelter with a kebab on his face. Like, like, holy fuck. (laughs) But they do great things as well in terms of the the flashbacks when they're on Ready, Steady, Go, and it's in black Mm. and white, and you you see them performing, and you're kind of like, okay, I believe this. They were, you know, a real band. Like, yeah, it's great. And it feels like, it does feel quite, they've done a good job of recreating that, Mm -hmm. even even from the sort of black and white footage, you know, it does look sort of old. It doesn't look like it was recorded in 1986, and they were trying to pretend it was 1966, whatever, you know? I, I think it's very cleverly done as well, because they only really focus on Coltrane, and that's the thing about Coltrane in this. He could be any age. Robbie <laughs> Coltrane in this could be 25. He could be 45. You don't yeah. really know. Whereas, and, and if you look at the, the black and white clips, they never really focus on Bomba or um, Jake Darcy or Morris Roves because you know they obviously couldn't de-age them, so to speak. Yeah. So you just see kind of them in the background or fleeting glimpses or just side-on view. But Coltrane is in full focus because, mm. as I say, he could be 25 or he could be 45. You just don't know. With Coltrane. I think I think he was the youngest actor of the group anyway. I think you know. I think I yeah. think I think the rest of them. I think Coltrane was born in the fifties. I think the rest of them had a, sort of ten years or so on him. You know what I mean? G- give or take. So, um, anything else on Tutti Frutti? I mean, I I, I absolutely loved this. I and I I will not leave it so long to watch no. it again. And it's amazing it, saying to people, a couple of people this week um, mentioned about the podcast, what you do next? And like, oh, doing Tutti Frutti. Never heard of that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised you wouldn't have heard of it. And it's such a shame because it is such an incredible show. And it's like I said at the beginning, kind of when we started covering it, this isn't just a TV show. This is a piece of art. Actually, I'd like to say I recommend um, uh, a friend of the podcast, um, Ali from Scots Wahey. He has written a couple of articles uh, on his website about Tutti Frutti. One specifically, and then one was about Robbie Coltrane. And Tutti Frutti is his favourite TV show. And he is genuinely the absolute master of Scottish culture and, you know, pop culture and TV shows and music and books. And, you know, I would bow to him in terms of his knowledge. And Tutti Frutti is his favourite ever TV show. So um, I will put a link in the description of this podcast to the article that Ali has written on his website, um, scottsway.com, um, about Tutti Frutti. But I would highly recommend anyone to to read that because it's lovely to read someone that was, uh, I'm sure Ali won't mind me saying this, you know, older enough to appreciate it when it first aired because we were both probably a little bit too young. Yeah, yeah. And then he hadn't seen it for like 20 years because he couldn't. And then he bought it on DVD and wrote this article. And spoiler alert, he's like, it's just as wonderful as I remembered. So, um yeah. Yeah, so um, I'll put a, a link in the description of this podcast, um, scottsway.com, um, yep. for Ali's article. I'd say as well, like, Ali's at the, the sort of vanguard of uh, sort of new Scottish literature, music, and film and stuff. So if that if that's something that you're interested in, it's very, you should start listening to his podcast and visit his website. Very, very good. Yeah, he's he's recently done his, like, best of the, the year books um, yeah. last year. And last year he did it, and his book of the year was um the voids i can't remember the author's name right now um and i downloaded it after hearing his review of it and i read it and it's genuinely one of the best books i've ever read um and i listened to his best of the books episode this year and i've downloaded about five books that he spoke about and can't wait to get into them because yeah ali's just a, a an amazing absolute fountain of knowledge so we can put 
2023 awards, I think. So our first award uh, is the Bobby the Barman Award for the best or your favourite pub. So there is Susie's Bar that she works in, which do you did you recognise that? It's um, Chimichungas on Great Western Road of Glasgow. It's now called uh, Cooper's. I've don't, I don't think so. I remember I remember hearing about uh, Chimichungas, but I was never ever in it. Um, so it was a proper actual bar. Um, yeah. Chimichungas in Glasgow, so that's where that was filmed. That was quite nice, but you know something? I'd rather have a pint in the hotel bar in Bucky where Vincent gets stabbed. <laughs> I did like I, I also like the Greek restaurant that Eddie does his business oh, in. Yes. I, I, something, <laughs> I something, I don't know if it's just the hospitality person in me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it just it, it feels very, I mean, I'm sure that that is probably a real restaurant as well yeah. that they've just used feels for. like it I feel I feel like all this was done on location um, yeah because they uh, Emma Thompson told a story about um, when they are filming on the boat as we watched it I watched her on Wogan and she tells a story of when her and what we call train were doing the kind of two-hander scene on the boat in Bucky Harbour and uh, all the boats have been told to stay at the harbour and one Russian boat almost wasn't told <laughs> in time and was bearing down on them so I think that I, th- I feel like you know they are they it's very, very much on location. I don't think they've used any studio, um, no. any studio for any of the scenes. Um, so the next one is a tough one, I think, because there's a lot to choose from. But it's the it's the Cosmo James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. A lot to choose from. I mm. went with Ron Donaghy, though. I went with Darcy slash Donaghy because I just couldn't yeah. pick between the two of them. Good shout. Actually, yeah, you know someone, you're right. Darcy has popped up in so many things. Like, if you think of, like, the one episodes, you know, that he's in, probably Rhapsody Nest, but City Lights. Um, yeah, you're right. Darcy's a, a great shout as well. It has to be between the two of them, I would say. Yeah. Even Dave Anderson pops up for, like, a, a really quick of scene, doesn't it? Of course. We didn't <laughs> speak about Dave Anderson. Yeah. Very quick scene. And he's great. But, yeah, of course, Dave Anderson. But he's not in it enough to count, um, no, I would I say, so. for being everything Scottish. So. But, yeah, out of the main cast, it has to be... Um, it's Donna here, Darcy. I think yeah. we, can, we can let them share it this week. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, next one, then, Jake McQuillan, your Tizu Award. So what did you I- go for for this? I went with uh, Vinny getting plunged in the bar in Bucky because <laughs> it just comes out of nowhere. That's the funny thing because there is quite a lot of violence in this, but it's all off screen. So yeah, yeah. there's a couple of fights between the band members, but you never see it. Um, no. You don't see Vincent getting stabbed. Same as which I've gone for, which I thought was a good tease is Danny attacking Stuart, the evil dentist with a drill. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's right. It's you see one. him approaching and then it's just off screen. And there's no violence at all in this in terms of on-screen kind of yeah. action or fighting. Um, even when uh, Noreen batters Glenna and covers her in rock cakes, like, it's off-screen. Yeah. You just see yeah, Glenna yeah. covered in cake. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it, it, it's it's really well done. Um, but, yeah, I went with uh, Danny attacking Stuart. Yeah, I think, I think it has to be... I think they have to do it like that because if, you know, if you see these characters actually see them knocking lumps out of each other it sort of takes something away from it but just yeah. you know the fact that it happens off screen sort of adds to the humour because Danny holding somebody down and drilling holes in their teeth is pretty shocking to see yeah. that happen on screen but hearing that Danny has held someone down and drilled holes in their teeth and then you see the dentist at the police station going through the mug shots and stuff that's high comedy <laughs> you know what I mean it's, it's perfect timing, though, because it switches to... You hear the drill, and then you hear a scream, but it cuts to the receptionist smiling because she thinks it's Danny that's getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm watching Tutti Fruity. I'm not watching Marathon Man. So yeah, exactly. I, I don't yeah. want to see that. 
so yeah it's it's so well done and i think yeah uh, mm-hmm. a genius part of writing and direction there really good so the next one is the ewan mcgregor award for gratuitous nudity so there's not really any gratuitous nudity as such, but we do get a wee glimpse of Emma Thompson's bum. Yes, when yes. <laughs> when uh, Danny's getting the paintings out from under the bed and she kind of climbs over him to stop him. Yes, I have written down Emma Thompson's bottom. Um, yeah. It's my <laughs> nudity, and, and we'll leave it at that. But um, yeah. what a lovely bottom it was! It certainly was, and I'm sure, and I'm sure still is. So the next award then is the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. So <laughs> my pick in this. It's not really gratuitous swearing. It's got a wee bit of swearing in it, but I, I, I wound it back three or four times because I couldn't stop laughing. And it's when it's when Kettles and Danny are having a row in the hotel, mm. and she go, she goes she's going out to get toothpaste. She's trying to go out to get toothpaste, and they're still rowing. And she storms out, and he and he goes. Kettles, get back in here, damn it! And like a, there's a, a couple of beats go by, and she sticks her head in the door for him, and it says, "Don't get the stripy stuff; it hurts my gums." <laughs> um, so over the last week, I have watched this <laughs> twice, and I paid very special attention the second time I watched it. There's no swearing in this. No, no, just, they are bastard and bloody. And yeah, there's a Danny calls Susie a heartless bitch at one yeah. point and Susie calls Stuart a bastard yeah. and there's the odd bugger that's no. it yeah. there's, there's no shits there's no fucks there's no C words there's nothing bitch and bastard and bugger are as hard yeah. as it goes and I find that first of all quite incredible but also like John Byrne you're a fucking genius like you have managed to make this show that is kind of a hard edgy dark show yeah. and there's no swearing there's no nudity like what is the problem like why did your mum not let you watch this there's nothing bad about it like there's no swearing there's no nudity it's nothing okay a guy sets himself on fire but you know <laughs> it's 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 kind of family friendly in a way um, yeah, no, I and, I, and I think that takes a, a very inspired and genius writer to be able to make something that doesn't have those things in it. I think family friendly is perhaps going a wee bit too far because a, a girl uh, does yeah. kill herself in the fifth episode. Um, True, okay. And the, there's a lot of laughs about it. I think my mum probably just wanted to watch something else or just or just, or had just had enough of me for the day and wanted me to go to bed probably, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's true. You know, there's, not a, there's, no, there's no bad language in it. But I suppose it was on BBC One in the sort of mid to late 1980s you wouldn't I mean I don't think BBC One now would show anything with a lot of bad language in it BBC Two would after a certain hour but BBC One wouldn't I don't think yeah I think you're like a quota and that's it yeah okay next one then archetypal Scottish moment what was your pick here? Oh, she's a fine wee lass a bonnie wee lass (laughs) my bonnie wee Jeannie McCall (laughs) has to be the Scottish I, band singing Jeannie McCall. I've I've written down Scottish band um, and uh, and them in the studio as well because they they are mm. in the end. But the other thing, and I, I get and I'm a little bit guilty of doing this, but it's maybe not archetypal Scottish. But I really really love uh, kettles close that are flats in and they in mm. our front and our front door with the, the sort of ornamental glass and stuff it's yeah. very very you know and the the ornamental tiles and the clothes and stuff very 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 glaswegian um yeah. I'm, I'm sure that that flat is probably worth a quarter of a million quid now because uh, mm. it's probably in the west end or in the south side or something like that um but those flats uh you know those flats 
hold their money. I I had one. I wish I still had it. Um, but um, yeah, it's just something just really, really, really yeah. typical of Scotland. Those uh, those sort of tenement buildings. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then last, then the Sean Connery Award for who wins the production for you. I very nearly gave this to Katie Murphy just purely <laughs> because she just cracks me up whenever she's on screen, and she's so good. But I think we've we've kind of spoken about this before on the episode. There's only one winner for me, and it's Morris Roves. He just really? steals it from me. Yeah, I give it wow. to him over Coltrane or Thompson. Really? Um, it's the the range that he covers in terms of the emotional depth that he goes into. He's such a bastard, but he's so, f- mm. you know, times he's so funny. Again, third time I mentioned it, watching Postman Pat and Gaelic. Or <laughs> when he's talking about, the, it's the physical comedy as well, the slapstick, when he's on the crutches and he's shouting at Noreen about his nine pairs of gabardine hockey trousers and <laughs> two crumby overcoats. It's Rose's story in a way. Like, he goes on the biggest journey throughout this. And genuinely, Coltrane would probably be a, probably third behind Katie Murphy, maybe, actually. Well, Coltrane's great, but yeah, I, it's Morris Rose for me, without a doubt. He steals this for me. I guess you've gone for Coltrane, have you? Well, I, I actually gave it to Coltrane and Emma Thompson just because the scenes when it's just, the scenes that they're in all the way through when it's just the two of them yeah. are, just an abs- are just an absolute joy. Yeah, they you are. Know? They are. They really they're, are. You know, I, you really get, they, this, you can really get the feeling that these are two actors who are really good friends, who have, whether they knew each other well before or whether they've taken the, taking the time to get to know each other to make this, I'm not really sure, but I just really when it it, it was just them on screen whether they're sitting in a boat in Bucky or whether they're in her apartment uh, or whether they're they're having a drink together in a bar or whatever, I just think that uh, they're just brilliant. And and I think a lot of it is because of the way that the relationship evolves over over the show and you know Danny's kind of burgeoning feelings for Kettle's, you know, Kettle's I think kind of burgeoning but reluctant feelings for him and then you start to understand why because you think why would she be attracted to a big fucking lump like Danny you know this big sort of heavy guy and stuff and then you understand that well you know she's been mistreated and um, mm-hmm. you know really, she's probably a bit lonely and she's got a repertoire with him and she sort of sees she, she, she sort of sees the good in him that he evidently doesn't really see himself you know what I mean she, she sort of sees his potential and stuff and and, yeah. and all this all this comes out of their performance it's not this isn't written mm-hmm. there's no like little scenes of exposition of her saying you know i know that you're a good guy danny or or i'm just really looking for like a nice guy or whatever it, it's it all comes out this in the subtlety of the writing and the and the and their performances so for me um i do appreciate your uh your choice there i think morris Schultz is brilliant <laughs> but for me personally it was those two that did it for me I can understand that. And I, yeah, I would imagine they probably did know each other because, like I say, Emma Thompson was a stand-up comedian before yeah, she yeah, did yeah. this. And I guess they probably knew each other from the scene because obviously Coltrane was quite well into comedy. I also watched that interview that you watched on Wogan with Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. And when Terry mentions Robbie Coltrane, you just see Emma Thompson's face just light up. And yeah, yeah. she's so pleased to be speaking about him. She's like, yeah, he's just, he's wonderful. And you can... That relationship they have on screen is incredible. And it, it's like I said earlier in the episode, and exactly as you've just said there, you're kind of looking at the two of them. You're like, how the fuck would they ever end up together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way it's built up over the six episodes, when it happens, you're not like, oh, for fuck's sake, I knew this was going to happen. Or yeah, yeah. like, 
I don't believe this. You are invested. And you're like, go on, man. Go on, Danny. Go on, Kels. Like, you two, you belong together. Come on. And yeah, it's wonderful. Um, So I I agree with you, but I don't agree with you because I'm still giving it to Morris Rose. Fair enough. Anyway, that was Tutti Frutti. It was my choice. Um, If you haven't seen it, I think maybe we should cut in a bit of a spoiler warning at the beginning um, because we've, <laughs> cause we have, we've obviously we've spoken about all the best bits. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, you can get it on um, Apple TV. It's there. It's for sale there. I would urge you to rush out and get it. It's only a fiver. Um, it's really, really good. So that was my choice. Agree. Yeah, sorry, forgetting. I'm out of practice. So it was my choice, Tutti Frutti, for our, our first uh, sort of proper episode of 2024, which means the bottle spins back to you. What are we watching for the next episode? Uh, so my next choice is a, a listener recommendation, Greg. Not a request. It was mm. a recommendation. So I'm stealing it as my choice and it is from everyone's favorite canadian baker strong henry who is a of course a long-time listener to the podcast and he recommended a couple of films to us um which i watched one over the festive period and i really enjoyed it so i'm picking it as my next choice so we're going back to 1992 or we're going forward to 1992 because we've just been in 1987 (laughs) and we're looking at a film directed by stefan schwartz not the ex-Sweden footballer but um, English film director and this film stars Peter Capaldi Elaine Collins who later went on to be Peter Capaldi's wife and Richard Wilson making back-to-back appearances on the Culture Swally it's the 1992 film Soft Top Hard Shoulder which is available on YouTube for everyone to watch if you want to do your homework so next episode of Swally Soft Top Hard Shoulder Cool. Look forward to watching that. I've never seen it. So, uh, yeah. Look yeah, forward to watching good. that this week. Well, thanks to Strong Henry for his recommendation. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us on culturespally at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at culturespallypod. Or we're on X, which is now known as Twitter. Sometimes or, called Twitter. No, commonly referred to as Twitter or sometimes on Twitter um, at SwallyPod um, I think we're on threads as well Greg I, I, I think it's at Culture Swally Pod on threads right. but we haven't really posted much there but we are going to up our social game this year so we're going to um, yeah. try that so yeah so follow us on the socials get in touch or you can look at our wonderful website as well can't you and you have sent me an article for the website that I haven't <laughs> read yet and I'm going to do that this afternoon Greg <laughs> new content incoming on the website uh, yeah we've got a website uh, cultureswally.com where you'll find links to all their episodes uh, some articles there's a little article about Scottish horror um, where we talk about uh, Tam O'Shanter the poem um, so perhaps a little bit of a timely reading in time for Burns Night when this episode goes out but come and find us over there and you can get in touch with us straight from the website as well fantastic right I hope you have a wonderful Burns Night Greg and I guess the only thing that's left to say is um, a wap ba ba loo ba ba wap bam boom <laughs> just going to cut it there <laughs> <laughs> right till next time till next time it was fun telling you what she did you Glenna? Don't tell us she made out a bed for me. No, Dean. Burnt all my clobber. Nine pairs of gabardine hockey trousers, five wind cheaters, two crombie overcoats, a fair isle turtleneck which I got for one of the coasters, sixteen pairs of slip-ons and shirts. God alone knows how many shirts she must have torched. All of them from Esquires. Must have been some blaze. 
You don't go out of your way to fall head over heels for some dolly. It just happens. Aye, right. right. 